Hello and welcome to Seriously Narrative, episode two, Electric Boogaloo, or as I like to call it, Path to Glory. Is it viable? Is it not? We're going to find out. I'm Matt. And I'm Renee. Please go back if you haven't already done so and listen to episode 1.35. It's kind of like a narrative episode where I narrated a couple of stories. I got excited in between episodes one and two and wanted to record something right away after episode one came out. So that's kind of what I did. Take a listen. Okay, so what are we going to get into on this show? We're going to do our normal hobby segment. And I think Matt has come up with a name for that. I think we're going to call it the Anvil of Souls. I wanted to call it the Tech Marine Aquarium, which I thought sounded like Johnny Rico from Starship Troopers. You know, when he was in the tank and his friends all came over and were like, hey, look, you're dead. And he gives them like a thumbs up. Not sure how that is equal to hobby, but okay. Anyway, it's going to be called the Anvil of Souls. Yes. So, and then we're going to talk about games we played this week which I know you've played quite a few. I've only played one. Yeah, you played one with me, and then I played a couple, both in the league and then at High Tide. Yeah. And then we're going to get into the meat of the show. We're going to be talking about the new Path to Glory in AOS 3.0. We're going to talk about our experiences with it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, not so much the ugly because it's quite good. More like room for improvement. And then after that, I have an interview with Justin who created a really awesome AOS Path to Glory tracker. It's all automated and we'll be talking about a lot of the stuff that Renee and I get into with Path to Glory as well. Yeah, and his tracker's in Excel and so it's nice because... It will take, it'll interact with itself, but you'll get into that more. Yeah, definitely. And then we have our question and debate time, which by the way, if you guys have a question for us that you'd like us to debate, please send it in at seriously narrative podcast, all one word at gmail.com. We'd be glad to listen to and then debate any question you might have. You could also leave the question on our Facebook post for this episode. Yeah, facebook.com slash seriously narrative podcast. Okay, so let's jump into our hobbying and paint segment. The Anvil of Souls. All right, see you guys in a bit. Welcome to the Anvil of Souls, where we talk about our hobby and paint for this week. So, rather the last two weeks. So what did you get up to in the last two weeks, Renee? I painted my Wrathmongers. I got them completely done. 100%. Look at you. Even based them. They look yeah, good. they even based and I painted Black around the rims and everything. They are 100%. Uh, yeah, you have to paint that black around the rim. It really kind of frames the model, I feel like. Yeah, it makes it look finished. So yeah, so I got them painted. I based them with Astro Granite and then put some tufts on it and dry brushed. And yeah, they're done. Awesome. Excellent. What about you, Matt? Oh, I got a lot of things done. The first thing is I had to kind of change armies for my 40K league because I wasn't able to get in any Thousand Suns stuff. So I changed to orcs because the new orc book came out and they are amazing. And there was a lot of orc stuff that I could purchase and paint up. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. So I bought 10 Beast Snaga Boys, painted those up first, and they're really cool. I really like how they kind of have this weird cloak in the back and it's kind of made it a squig hide and some of it's furry and some of it's kind of scaly. They really did a good job on those sculpts. I painted up three Squig Hog Boys and then the Squig Hog Knob. And that was actually really cool, too, because those squigs, ah, they're just so much better than a horse to paint. They're neat. They look really cool. They do. And I also painted up three Endrin riggers, the uh, little, what are they called, Caradron overlords with the dirigibles firing their nail guns. And I've, I painted up an Endrin rigger master, the, the character that's on a dirigible. So I finished all those up. Oh, and I finished up my dwarf hammers. 
the the ladies that I got in. And then, oh, I painted up the rest of the Thousand Sons that I had. So I did paint up enough for a 25 power level army. And well, I guess you call it an army. It's more like a little battle force. But then I couldn't get any more Thousand Sons in. So I said, well, I guess I'll just have to switch armies. Yeah. But they were really neat. Uh, they had a lot of trim, which wasn't so bad. But I put a bunch of transfers on them. So hey, they look really cool. cool. I like them. I like them. Oh, and I finished painting up 20 Zangors. The Zangors that I had half painted for like a year and a half. Oh, wow. So I finished painting those up. They were supposed to be for the League, but now I just, I guess I have 20 extra Zangors hanging out in the cabinet. Why not? What are you excited to paint next week? Next two weeks? I don't know. Oh, I have a special character for the Corn Army. Oh, yeah. I think um, he's, what is he called? He's like a skullmonger or something. He's got, he's the guy with a two-handed anvil that he's just whipping around. Yeah, so I'll paint him up. I don't know if I'll get to anything else other than that. I'm a slow painter. She just gets into these cycles, I guess. Yep. I know what I'm going to do. I'm definitely, I need to rebase 20, no, I'm actually 30 orcs. Well, I want to rebase 30 orc boys because I have them all in 25s and they need to go in 32s. And I have a battle wagon that I need to paint up. And I converted, after I played a game with some Adeptus Sororitas, I converted a Dreadnought out of one of their Penitent engines. And, oh, that's going to be really cool to paint up. I can't wait to do yeah, that. Yeah, well. Yep. And if I have time, I might paint up some more Beast Snagga Boys because I have another box of 10 just sitting there. Anything you're excited to put together? Yes. Uh, for my birthday this year, my wife and my mother went together and they got me a Gorkonaut slash Morkonaut. I can't wait to put that guy together and paint him. That's going to be really awesome. Yeah, he's going to be cool looking. And I'll definitely have that done in two weeks. I can guarantee that. Let's move on to the hobby tools segment. Have we figured out like a good name for this yet? No. Tools for fools. No, we have to figure out a Warhammer-y name. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to think on it. If you guys have any suggestions, let us know. Yeah, so this week we've got, it's called the Rinsewell by Masterson. Yep, and it runs about $20 on Amazon. We're going to put a link to it in our description, but it's a really cool Rinsewell. It's all plastic. It's nice because it has probably about a quart of water that it holds at a time. And then it has a little well that has ribs on the bottom. So it really helps to rinse your paintbrush. And then it has a little button that releases the water into a holding tank on the bottom. Yeah, so what it looks kind of like, if you can imagine a dog's water bowl that has those little two liter attachments on the top that you would put a two liter bottle and it kind of flows water down the bowl. And as the dog drinks the water, it continuously refills it. Well, in this case, nobody's drinking the water except for our cats who sometimes get into it. If you push the little button, then the water flows out. And then fresh, clean water flows in. I didn't know that I actually wanted this until I got it. It's, it's kind of one of those, it's kind of like everything that my wife gets me. She got me one two years ago for my birthday and I was really surprised and I was like, what do I need this for? I've got a water cup. But as soon as I started using it, I was like, oh, this thing is awesome. The year after that, I actually bought another one. So I have two now, especially for when we have paint night Thursdays and people come over and we paint. I'm thinking about buying another one. Yeah. And they're relatively inexpensive. I mean, they last, we've had like, Matt said, we've had the first one over two years and it's held up fine. You can clean them. I mean, the paint sticks to it, but just scrub it a little bit. The paint comes right off. Yeah, and you can put it in the dishwasher too if you need to. One of the downsides of this is that if you leave the water in the bottom, then that paint water will start to get slimy and funky. So you kind of want to wash it out maybe every 
two weeks or so, whether it needs it or not. Yeah. If you do a lot of painting, then you'll definitely wash it out sooner. Oh, and also another thing, once the water is all out from the top, don't just refill the bottom and keep going because it will just overflow the bottom. The don't. bottom is designed to hold exactly one bottle full of water. Don't refill the top. You said don't refill the bottom. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Don't refill the top. It's really cool. It makes life a lot easier. It definitely does. And especially when I'm airbrushing, because what I'll do is I'll dump out my airbrush inside of the the rinse well and then I'll pick the top of the rinse well up the little bottle and use the water coming out of the bottle to just rinse the airbrush and I'll just pour it back into the rinse well it's kind of like having like a like a dirty sink right there yeah a little mini tiny sink next to you yeah so when I'm in between colors that I'm trying to blend colors in but I don't want I don't want that much dark green in there. I just kind of rinse it out real quick instead of having to take the airbrush all the way over to the bathroom and rinsing it in the sink or whatever. Yep. And, oh, and I didn't even talk about, it has two spots to put brushes up. Matt says it has four. Four little holes that you can put brushes up. Although I don't suggest you keep them there long term because it does ruin the brushes. Yeah, the paint will run down into the fennel. Or even the water. But, but I'll tell you what I do when I'm mixing paint either on my wet palette or into an airbrush. I use one brush that is for mixing paint, mixing all the paints. I just put it there so I always have that brush up in that little thing. And who cares if it runs down into the funnel? I don't care. This thing is, this brush is terrible. It's only for mixing paint. Yeah. In fact, I'd say this brush now is about 50% paint. Interesting. So that's it. Thank you very much for our hobby tool segment. You said thank you for the hobby and tool segment you didn't say thank you for listening to the hobby and tool segment (laughs) that's been our hobby and tool segment so thank you very much for listening to that we will be right back with our games played these last two weeks see you in a minute we're back with matt to talk about the games we've played the last two weeks great yeah so first let's talk about our game which was the ambush you played with your blades of corn and I played with my, with a Vangeline. Pretty much I had to set up in one tiny little corner of the board and you were able to set up all around me and you got first turn. So one would think going into this battle that this was kind of a match that might've been preordained so that you could win. But, you would think. But the way that it scored is that she has to kill units every single turn. And starting with the first turn, she has to get in there and kill them. Because if she doesn't, I get victory points based on how many units are there at the end of each round. And she gets victory points based on how many units she kills. So every time she kills a unit, she gets two victory points. And every time there's a unit at the end of the round, I get one victory point. So at the end of the first round, she had killed one unit, but I still had like four or five units left. So it was, you know, five to two. And then at the end of the second round, I mean, she pushed in really hard, but unfortunately she didn't split her army. I feel like the best way to play this is definitely to split your army into two, not necessarily a long line, but two groups and one group go hard after at least one unit. And then another group go hard against the second unit and try to get two units in the first turn. Because if you don't, then what happened with her, she got one unit, but then everything else was kind of bogged down and it was blocking. And I don't think that would work. It might work with certain armies, but you had your horde of zombies on the other side. So there was no way I was going to get that horde of zombies down in one turn. 
I don't know. I don't think you would have gotten them down in one turn, but I don't think they would have been the powerhouse that they had been if you had taken a couple of units into them and said, okay, well, here's, you know, here's 20 wounds and I, 20 zombies would then die or maybe 18. And then you would attack with a second unit after I attacked with my zombies. And I you know if you're getting the first turn, then I definitely don't have the buffs that I might want to maybe make them attack twice I might not have been, in fact, I wasn't in range the first, that first turn to give them plus one attack with a Vangeline. Well, that's the other issue is if I split up my army, I'm not going to get all the buffs on everybody for the extra attacks. My Wrathmongers only have an eight inch bubble. Yeah, that's true. I guess you would have to, you'd have to either split them up or you would just have to say, okay, well, these two units or these three units are sacrifice units that we just throw at zombies and you're going to kill maybe one of those units with my with your zombies, but I'll kill those zombies dead first turn. I don't think I would have been able to. It would have been close. And then on the on the far side, I had at unit twenty grave guard, and those performed particularly well during the battle. In the first turn, mother got off an incredibly high charge, like a super huge charge. What it was, eleven inches. And you got over to a Vangeline and I was like, oh no, if she kills Vangeline the first turn, then this army is, gonna, is toast. It will just dry right up. Yeah. And if I remember right, I got her down to one wound. You did get her down to one wound. And then during the next turn, I took her out of combat because I didn't want her to die. And then I cast a spell on you. No, I cast a spell on you first, Vile Transference, and sucked away like four mortal wounds from Mother and then retreated her out of combat and unfortunately mother was in combat with your other unit what was your other unit there uh the zombies oh yeah the zombies yeah the zombies just shambled right up to her and said hey 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 and eventually they got her so mother spent the rest of her life trying to eat away at those zombies oh and they turned her into a zombie too i had extra zombie for her yep but then you got father in and i i will say that i think that if you had brought in 20 blood letters rather than father and you might have had a little bit better chance because father is kind of hit or miss, you know? Yeah. That's what sort of happened. And the game was bloody. I, we didn't, neither of us had much at the end, but at the end, I think I still had, um, I still had some zombies. I still had a Vangeline and I still had some grave guard or did you wipe out all the grave guard? I think I wiped out all the grave guard. Yeah. And, and every, my dogs, my poor dogs were all wiped out. You took a chaos chariot in this one too, a slaves to darkness yep. chariot. And I didn't think it would do very well, but it did. It did work. Yeah, it, it did a lot of work. I think having the extra two attacks helped it a lot. Yeah, extra two attacks on each one of its attack profiles. It's not bad. So that was our game and I I did win, but I, I feel like it wasn't that, even though the point spread seemed like it wasn't that close because I think I got like, it was 14 to eight or something or 14 to 10 i don't think i had 10 i did not kill five of your units oh yeah you did kill four so it was 14 to eight but at the end there wasn't a whole, whole lot of my army left so the ambush was technically a success and there's always more bloodborne right yeah although evangeline's just not going to get over that ptsd from seeing mother and i think that was really scary i really thought that she was just dead if i had rolled any any poor oh she would have been so gone so then I had a game with Justin and we played uh, 1500. No, we played like 1750, some weird point value. And it was my 
blades of corn against his Lumineth realm lords. And that was kind of neat. It was one of these where we had three objectives and we kind of spread ourselves across the board. And he has a lot of wardens and he has one unit of archers and then one Bellastai that he keeps kind of close to each other. And he plays Iliatha. So he can spend one command point and get two, two units to like overwatch or two units to give him hell. And so we did that a couple of times. He would, he would constantly give something to give two things plus one to hit or give two units plus one to their save. It was a very, very good army for that. He took the first turn and he took the middle objective with this character that just said, Hey, if you don't kill me, I always control this objective no matter what's around me and no matter what's happening. And I said, challenge accepted. And, and then his other units, instead of pushing forward, they kind of went into a defensive formation and so I pushed all my corn warriors up because I said, hey, corn, corn advance. Mm-hmm. And then I, I engaged father, the two handed bloodthirster with the hero and a couple of, of the, of his other units and made him fight twice because that's what I can do. And so I had, you know, 14 attacks with this bloodthirster where every time he wounds on a six, he causes four mortal wounds. And I could just see Justin's face drop. He was like, Oh no, I'm going to lose so many units to this. Yep. But luckily for him in the first battle round, I didn't roll one six. I did wipe out two units with father. I wiped out that hero that he had on the objective and I wiped out a unit of spearmen, but I didn't actually cause any mortal wounds the first turn. And even the second turn, I think I only did it once for the carnage. I was, I was a little bit disappointed in my dice rolling skills there. But the rest of my army kind of moved up and said, hey, I'm capturing objectives. If you don't come and charge me and lose your bonuses for your spearmen, then I'm just going to sit here on this objective. And even if you do charge me, you can kill me because he got off all those spells that did mortal wounds on a five up and this and that. It still wouldn't have mattered because they were because they're blood warriors. So they just attack you back when they die in close combat. So that was our game. Uh, It lasted about till the top of turn three and then he retreated because he didn't want his Cathaler to die, which I completely understand. He really loves that, that Sonari Cathaler and he just doesn't want her to ever die because she's the lifeblood of the army. She's his Persephone. That was my game against Justin and I had a lot of fun. It was very hard. Despite what I said about what happened, the whole game was a thinking person's game because I had an army that doesn't perform very well in a lot of circumstances and I have to kind of surprise him in order to try to get a leg up on him. I played in the 40 K league at high tide games. And my first game was thousand sons. I played as thousand sons against orcs and I kind of just psychic him off the battlefield. It didn't really matter if you have T five orcs, if I'm just like, okay, well here have every mortal wound that ever was. And that was fine. That was an interesting game. But then after that, I realized I couldn't really do much with thousand sons because I, didn't, I couldn't get in any models. I switched to orcs and I immediately played a game versus Adeptus Sororitas. And that was interesting because I had a bunch of beast snaggas in a truck. And then I have the beast snagga boss. What is it called? I, I made my own, the war boss on Squigasaur. Yeah. I had to make my own. I took a stone horn and put it on the correct size base and then took my orc warlord from war clans and put that on there. And I was like, oh, he looks intimidating enough. And everybody's like, that's not a squig. I was like, oh, it is. It's airy squig. <laughs> so I could see an orc doing that. 
Yeah. So that's what I'm using until I can get the official model in. And let's see. And I was using three squig hog boys. And in that particular list, I was using some commandos that battle also. I got them from a buddy who bought the kill team set and didn't want them. So I bought those off of him. They did really well. They in turn one, they hid in cover and then they charged some sisters of battle and just completely wiped out a unit. And then they were pretty much wiped out to an orc by his sister superior. But eh, what are you going to do? That's bloody rose for you, right? The orcs kind of did dominate that match too, because I would do some pot shots and take out like one or two or three sisters. But even those one or two or three sisters were really highly prized by him. Like he only had so, so many. Anytime he engaged me in close combat, he would kill something. And then I would just kill him dead because those orcs are dead hard. Those things hit hard, especially when they're charging. They're very, very good. And that's that boss war boss on Squigasaur. The thing just doesn't die. So then my third and last battle in 40k at least was just this last Saturday. It was a grudge match orcs versus blood angels. It was a meat grinder mission. So every time you killed something it immediately came back on the other side of the board and my opponent was running two dreadnoughts, one librarian dreadnought and one furioso with blood talons and then a unit of five heavy intercessors and I think some servitors. It was so funny because I bullied those servitors every turn. I would I would kill them just from orc pot shots. I would just kill them. I, I think I charged them with a truck and killed them one turn. It was very, very hilarious. What would happen is you get points equal to double the power level of whatever you kill. So in like the third or fourth turn or something, we had tons and tons and tons of points. But unfortunately, the game was capped at 100 points that you could get 90 from their your mission and then 10 if you have painted models and we both all had all painted models so so the final score ended up being something like 224 in my favor to 168 of his but it was technically a draw because I you know, we each could are capped at 100 but I feel like it was one of those things where at turn four I realized that I, I could go hide and not let him kill more stuff, but also not kill more stuff myself. What's the fun in that? If I was playing Thousand Sons, I actually might have done that because they're kind of insidious like that. I feel like my orcs did not come to this crusade to win games. They came to crump. And that's what they did that battle. They crumped and they crumped and they crumped. Now, even though we might say it was a draw, I'm sure that nobody, and I mean nobody, would have any complaints if I took a Blood Angels Dreadnought and converted it to be an Orc Dreadnought. Or Death Dread. Nobody's going to complain about that. I earned that. Yep. So those are my games played. And I'm hoping to have a couple more games this week and the next week. Although COVID numbers are kind of shooting up in our region. And I'm really kind of wary of it. We still like to try to get games in. At the very least, Renee and I will get a game. And we were talking about doing a bit of a crusade ourselves. A little 40k crusade. Yeah, I haven't played any of the new 40k So I think she's going to grab some orcs. In fact, I'll just give her the list that I was using for our crusade. It's a dead hard list and everything in it's pretty darn good. Sounds like a plan. Maybe I'll take something like Necrons or Space Marines. I have a whole Space Marine army. Use custom chapter and everything. Cool. Next up, we're going to talk about Path to Glory. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. aside, the blood secretor's vitae had tasted like oil and foulness, so she skinned him with her talons instead. 
It was not the same as the one that had escaped her last time. She wove his skin into a small, glistening leather blanket. Rufus nuzzled her, and she placed it on the dragon-sized dog's back. She didn't want him to get cold. He had almost no skin as it was from defending her. During the battle, she had cast a spell which had stolen some of the towering demon's essence, and she could still feel it coursing through her. It made her feel strong, and filled her with a carnal desire to do harm. She kicked a few corpses, weaving magic into them to raise them, even as her steel-toed boots tore them open. The zombies would just have to crawl. Good enough for them, she thought. She would make all the raised abominations of this foul god crawl when she bound their souls into penance. She hated them, and hated the brands burned into their flesh. Such savages, said a voice in a tree to her left. So terrible. I can definitely see why you hate them. Evangeline almost pounced, and her hands turned to claws. She hissed instead, wrinkling her nose to squint through the glare of the hated sun. Come on down here if you want a piece of me, she growled. Her back was still torn open from the eel thing earlier, and she had a dozen small wounds from the battle. With the demon's essence inside of her, though, she felt like she could take on anything. No, it said, though it didn't come from its perch and the sun was still in Evangeline's eyes. I'm not part of that depraved mob of lunatics. She could see it was a man with white skin and golden hair coming down off one side of its perfectly shaped head. The other was shaved. Its lips curled in an ugly rictus as he spoke. Neither am I in league with those starving mutts glutting themselves on that town. I serve Lord Sisindril, and I've come to offer you a safe place. Why would I want anything from you? Evangeline demanded. It unnerved her that this man seemed so at ease. He obviously knew who she was. Did he not fear the soul blighted? I know that you have narrowly escaped destruction more than once, he said, putting truth to her thoughts. You are a beautiful flower, unique in this harsh land. My master would not see you plucked from it by those crude witch-hunters from Excelsis, or these savages. The master has seen you in a glimmering given to him by one of his servants. It is a true prophecy, very rare. You saved the master's life, so we would like to return the favor. Evangeline had never seen a glimmering, but she heard they were currency some folk used in the city. Prophecy? Despite herself, she was intrigued. There was a scent to this creature which put her at ease. It was a musk that reminded her of an animal's den. She associated it with the smell of Rufus's doghouse in another life. Where would you have me go? she asked. The man smiled. Not far. My master's lands are just to the east of this forest. The master is well respected, and no one dares to enter our lands. Dine with us this evening? Evangeline nodded her lips almost hidden as she pursed them. If this creature or his master thought to attack her, they would find her no easy prey. The demonic vitae burned inside her and made her bold. Lead on, she said. This man's skin would make a comfortable blanket for Rufus if it was a trap, she thought, and smiled. The man in the tree did not understand why she smiled, and so smiled back at her. He had perfect white teeth that gleamed. As he jumped down, Evangeline did not see the forked tongue which darted out of his mouth to lick his left eye. 
The witch hunter Matthias glared at the broken bodies lying in the town of Dartsmouth. His town, he thought. He used a boot to roll over a corpse, noting the ragged tear in the neck. It was a woman, bone white and drained. The damned bloodsuckers strike again, he said. A scrivener at his side scratched his words onto a roll of parchment. The aged woman was parsimonious with the ink, and her raven's quill scratched at the page in an unpleasant way. Matthias ignored it, as he always did. We will continue to hunt this monster, as we did its progenitor. It does not rest, and so we will not. In the god-king's name, he intoned. An adjunct ran up and waited until the scritch-scritch of the quill stopped, then bowed. Sir, we found a survivor, an old man, nearly dead of hack fever. He keeps babbling about the sea and fish swimming by him. Matthias waved the man to silence with one gauntleted hand. Obviously, he is delirious from his encounter. I'm glad at least one man's soul was spared the blight of this creature. Nevertheless, we cannot have disease in our ranks while we hunt such dangerous prey. We shall return him to the God-King's embrace. Burn him, and burn the bodies here. We are fortunate to have come before the monster could raise them with its foul magic. These people would not be used against us. Sir, the man said, and then saluted. He ran off to the cadence of the quill's scratches. Matthias looked at his scrivener. Send a raven back to Excelsis. This town's bounty is too valuable to be reclaimed by the land. The god-king's faithful are numerous, and always willing to found a new township. The scrivener did not reply, since she could not. Matthias had burned the tongue out of her mouth years ago. The only sound was the scratch of the quill as she wrote his command. Welcome back. We're going to start talking about Path to Glory now, and um, just kind of getting into the meat of the show. I'd like to first start off by saying, you know, what is Path to Glory? So here I have Renee with me for this segment. Hello. And then I'm, later on, I'm going to have Justin with me for the next segment. And he's going to talk about his Path to Glory tracker that he made in Excel. And then we're going to talk about sort of the limitations of Path to Glory and what you can do and what you can expect when you're trying to get like a full path to glory, like you want to go all the way to that glorious ending of whatever it is that you want. So right now we're just going to talk about how you build a path to glory army, how you navigate the craziness of the system. So they have a, a flow chart on page 305 of the core rulebook, but I feel like it's not quite as good as the flow chart that crusade has for 40 K. Uh, why is that? What, what's the difference? What does the flow chart for 40 K have that, the path to glory does not. Well, the flowchart for 40K is actually numbered. So you go down number one through like 13 or 14. And at the end of that, you're done. No matter okay. what happens, you just follow that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But in this particular instance, you have to go page to page and every single page, just chock full of stuff that you absolutely need to read stuff that if you miss it, your opponent will have an endless spell and you'll say, how did you get that endless spell? And they'll say, oh, well, uh, you get one for free at the beginning of Path to Glory. And you'll say, oh, my gosh, I didn't even read that sentence. That was three quarters of the way down the paragraph. Yeah. There are many paragraphs within this Path to Glory description, so it's easy to miss something. Yeah, definitely. So what's the first thing you need to do, Renee? First thing you need to do is pick your faction. What army do you want to play with? Mm -hmm. And what after that? 
since it is a narrative campaign at heart, you need to come up with a story of why your army running this path to glory. What does it want to accomplish? What realm do you want your stronghold to be in? What do you want your stronghold to be called? Yeah, because they do ask you a couple of questions that don't really make much sense in the game. They ask you like, oh, what is your stronghold name? And you're, you say to yourself, I have a stronghold, question mark. And, and then you have to figure out a stronghold name. They ask you where your faction is from. First, they ask you the realm, but then they ask you the kingdom. And you're like, oh, no, is there like a list of kingdoms where it could be from? Or are we are we doing Cities of Sigmar here? What are we talking about? And in the end, you kind of just have to make it up yourself, which is kind of scary when you're first starting out on the first page and you're like, yeah, I want to do this path to glory. Well, what's everything's name? And you're you're like, ah, I got to pick up names on the spot. Yeah, for people who have a hard time coming up with names for heroes, coming up with a name for your army, a name for your stronghold is very intimidating. Yeah, so, and then you've got limits to the order of battle. Like, so you have limits on your roster for how many of each thing you can take. So, for instance, you only start with the ability to take three heroes. You only start with the ability to have one keyword monster, one keyword wizard unit, etc. So you have to decide what your army is going to be, what your starting army is going to be based on these limitations. And then you have things called territories and you pick yourself one territory for free, or maybe more than one. If you're starting at a higher scale, most people start at that 600 point level, a 700 point level or 1000 point level. And so you decide what your starting army is going to be and what your starting territory is going to be based off of how much of what you want to put in your army. Some territories might give you an ability to take an extra hero. Some territories might give you the ability to take an extra monster in your army. So you need to figure out how this you can best use your territories to help your army. That's exactly right. So, for instance, when I picked Avangori, which is sort of the monster faction for Soulblight Gravelords, if I want to have two zombie dragons in my army, which, well, they're battle line, why wouldn't I want to have something like that? then I would have to have another Wildlands or I'd have to, you know, get a Wildlands. That's the territory that allows you to have an additional monster keyword in your army. Exactly. And if you wanted to have, say, if you wanted to have two units that were reinforced, then you'd have to have a small settlement because you only have one reinforcement point starting off at, like, say, a thousand points. And you get another one if you add that small territory. And you get that territory for free. Normally they cost glory points, 10 of them. And then it costs, I believe, 15 to upgrade them. When you upgrade them, you get two additional slots for whatever it is. So if you started with small settlement and then you upgraded it, it would allow you to have three additional reinforcement points rather than just one. And I think can you explain for people who don't know that glory points are kind of the currency of Path to Glory. You use glory points as your currency to get your upgrades, to get to be able to heal unit to get new units to get re-rolls later after the battle so so far let me recap we've picked our faction we've named all of our stuff i mean it's sometimes it takes us forever but we've named everything we've chosen our territory yes and we've also chosen our order of battle limit with your starting point so like vanguard or warband or brigade or legion and like vanguard is small warband is a little bigger than that brigade is yeah, around maybe 1,500 points, and then Legion is 2,000 or over. And then 
you determine how many glory points you start off with, what the limits on units are. So for instance, if you start off as a Vanguard, then your limit on units is eight. So, And that's in your roster. That's not what you're going to be playing with. Yeah, yeah. You're, the limit on the roster is eight. And your roster are units that you can play with, and your order of battle are units that you are playing with. So even if you pick, let's say you pick Vanguard, and your starting points are 650 you can have more units than that than 650 points in your roster but you can only have a maximum of eight yeah so then you pick your army based on those limitations you select your army whether it's 600 700 1000 1500 whatever it is you then select your units and you put those units on your roster and you start them out your warlord whatever whoever it is that you've chosen for your warlord gets 15 renown points and the core rule book has the roster and the army builder sheet in the back. So it helps to have those in front of you as you're going through the steps. Because if you have a blank space on the roster or on one of these sheets, and you know you need to go back and look better. So let's give an example about my starting army. And then Renee will give an example about her starting army. I started with Soulblight Gravelords, obviously, and I chose a Vangeline, uh, who was a Vampire Lord, as my Warlord, and then I grabbed a unit of Deadwalker Zombies, so 20 Zombies, and then I immediately upgraded them to make them 40, because they're good in 40. Zombies are evil. Yes, you call are. Mother evil. Zombies are evil. They're pretty evil. So then I grabbed a unit of 10 Graveguard, uh, Sword and Board Graveguard, that is, and three Vargeist. Oh, and a zombie dragon, because you cannot forget Rufus. Rounding this out, I chose Suffocating Gravetide as my endless spell. I just want to say, in the two battles we fought so far, you haven't yet to use your endless spell. Yeah, it's been coming after me, not you. Yeah. Don't worry, it'll come after you soon. Oh, yeah, we'll see about that. So for my army list, I am Corn. I'm Baleful Lords, and I started with a Bloodthirster of Insensate Rage. That's Mother. She has Thirst for Carnage and Black Brass Crown. I had a Blood Secrator for the plus one attacks, of course. You gotta have a Blood Secrator. Yes, you do. I have 10 Blood Warriors. I have three units of 10 Blood Reavers. I have five Wrathmongers, one Korgorath, and one Gore Beast Chariot. I should mention that we started this at 1,250 points and the... She had so that's how she had the Gorby's cherry. That's that's her that was her addition after Yeah, the last battle we fought was a thousand points. And so our second battle that we decided to run, we decided to bump it up to twelve fifty so we could run a little bit different army list. Yep. And how I changed my army list is I added ten more grave guards, so I had twenty grave guard who did work, I will say. They did battle. I think that's all I added, right? Oh no, I had my my hounds. Oh, yeah. I have my, my zombie dogs. You did have your zombie that's dogs. That's what I had. Okay. So that was, my, that was my army, and that's her army and how she started and how we started. So after you choose your army list, you then go through all of your core enhancements. You get everything from your sub-faction. You get your normal enhancements. So a warlord trade, an artifact, extra spells, extra prayers, whatever's in your battle tome, you get that. So if your sub-faction gives you additional warlord traits or additional artifacts, you take those as well. Those are not considered to be bonus enhancements, 
Bonus enhancements are really just the artifacts, spells, and prayers that you learn as you go via quests or via rewards from doing well on like a battle plan, like beating your opponent up or whatever. Finally, after that, you get to choose one endless spell or prayer to go in the vault. And I chose Suffocating Gravetide, and we already talked about that. What did you choose for your endless spell or prayer? I think I chose a prayer because being corn, I can't cast an endless spell. I can't eventually get a priest, but I don't remember what I chose because I can't use it right now. Yeah, we don't have the models. And the problem was we wanted to order the models, but GW is out of the models. So what can you do? I mean, you can't help it if it's out of stock. Yep. She just kind of has it on the sheet. Next, you pick your first quest. And there are a lot of quests ranging from you get a new artifact, you can get a new battalion. Oh, shoot. I completely forgot. You get a battalion for free as well when you start your army. Yep. So you can either pick one from your battle tome or you pick one from the core rule book and you just get that for free. And it doesn't matter if you fill it out right now. You don't have to build your army around it. You, it's just kind of like sticking it in your back pocket because it goes in the vault under bonus enhancements. You only can use certain amounts of bonus enhancements. So in our game the other day, we played a lower tier of battle, which means that we really only get one you know, bonus enhancement. So like one extra command trade or artifact and power spell prayer or unique enhancements. So for instance, the battalion counts as a bonus enhancement. I don't think either of us used a battalion in that, did we? No. And I know I used my endless spell. No, endless spells aren't here. So, oh, you have to pay for those. So you don't have to worry about those aren't considered bonus enhancements that you use. You just add that to your order of battle. Did you pick anything extra? I don't think I have anything extra to use. I don't think I did either. So we just didn't use any extra, although that's where it would be from. It would be a unique enhancement that you bring to your order of battle. Once our warlord get more, what was the name of the points that they get? (laughs) Renown. Once they get more renown and they can have extra artifacts or some, or another unit does, then we'll be able to take more. Yeah. So, You pick your first quest and that can be either a new artifact, a new battalion, a new endless spell, a new invocation, a new prayer, or you can defend your realm for an extra 10 glory points. Yes. And the last one is called Scout Fertile Lands, which gives you another roll in the chart to find a new territory at the end of the battle. So instead of rolling once on the chart, you roll twice on the chart. Yes. I feel like this was kind of a missed opportunity for this quest because the problem with Path to Glory, as we'll get into later on, is that a lot of times if you, the way that you want to build your army and the way that they force you to upgrade your army via RNG, like random number generation, can sometimes be different. (laughs) So if you want to play Avangori, like I do, and you want to have monsters like I do, but you don't roll extra wild lands, then you don't get monsters. You don't yeah. get extra monsters. You're just stuck with however many you have until you roll that. And I feel like a, a good a good change for Scout Fertile Lands would have been to say, once you complete this quest, act as though you had rolled a 66 on the new territory result. And the 66 just means that you get to choose what territory you get. So like, yeah. And so if you needed a monster, if you needed a monster, you could get the wildlands. If you need a new hero, you get the, you know, I think it's large settlement for hero. If you need like a new, another wizard, you get an arcane waypoint, things like that. Right. Yes, I agree. So anyway, all enhancements after you complete the quest go into the vault and the vault has only a certain number of 
enhancements that you can have. Now you can dump enhancements, but then you'd have to request for them. Like if you're unhappy, it's kind of a waste of questing if you're just going to start dumping enhancements, unless you got really screwed up and took the wrong one in the beginning. But I think once you have enough enhancements, I think doing other quests for glory points and stuff would probably be wiser. Trust me when I say, unless you are, unless you have a really, really long path to glory going on, you will not fill up that vault. No, you won't. So another thing that it's important to note is that the only way that you can add to your roster, get new units, resolve casualties, or pretty much do anything other than what you already have is to fight a battle. Yes. You, you have to fight a battle before you can do any of those things. So it's not like in Crusade where you can just kind of spend your points, your glory points willy-nilly whenever you want to. You, you can't just roll up to a table and say, oh, well, that guy's got Zinch, so maybe I should spend a couple of glory points to like get a new priest. You should have gotten the priest. After your last battle. Yeah, exactly. After that last battle, because you're not going to be able to just pick new things for your army on the fly. Exactly, yeah. And... The tier of battle will tell you how many points to play and what you need in terms of how large your strongholds are and how many bonus enhancements from your vault you can take. Now, I found this to be just a little bit overcomplicated. I understand the design theory. The design theory is if I have a very old Path to Glory list that I've been doing for a long time and I roll up on somebody who just made a Path to Glory list, you shouldn't be able to take, you know, a high tier battle versus their maybe even high tier battle, but just doesn't have a ton of enhancements in their vault or they don't have a lot of experience on their guys. So it's kind of a way to limit who you play with what army, but they did it in kind of an odd way. The bonus enhancements I think are nice because they kind of, because they make it so that you, if you're playing a 1000 point army, you're not going to bring like three extra artifacts or three extra spells. You can't have like a billion extra things and then just wipe your opponent off the board. That wouldn't be fun anyways. No, it would not. So another thing that we, once you get to this point, it is after like maybe the third or fourth battle and you really start digging into these rules, you will learn that this is designed to take a very long time. A rules is written path to glory from 600 points to 2000 points, probably somewhere around 20 to 25 battles. Yeah, so it's... You're going to be in it for the long haul if you want to finish. Yeah. I mean, it is a very, very long road. And there are things that you can do to mitigate that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that with Justin, about how to maybe do like a fast to glory. Uh, Or if you're trying to do a story league like we are, and we don't like we have four weeks for each points value. So like four weeks at 700, we have four weeks at a thousand points, four weeks at 1500 points, and then four weeks at 2000 points. And what we found was four games was not enough to get anywhere even close to those points upgrades. I mean, because you have to do strongholds, you need like a whole bunch of points for strongholds. You take casualties every battle. It really just is very long. All of a sudden you realize, oh no, I have to do all of these other things just to just to be able to play at 1,500 points or just to be able to play at 2,000 points. So I'll talk about that later, though. One thing that's really, really nice that I really like, though, is you can play a Path to Glory battle with somebody who's not in Path to Glory. That is nice. Yeah, you can just play a matched play game with somebody, your buddy, who just wants to throw down real, you know, go real hard. and Or you can just play a pickup game at the shop. Like, whoever it is that you want to play... There, and there's limitations to it. So it's not like you're you're like, ha ha, Mr. Match Play, I've got all these bonus enhancements. Well, 
you're not allowed to use your bonus enhancements during the game and you don't get anything extra from your path to glory roster except for you know you you would build according to their rules but at the end of the game you don't have to suffer casualties which is oh so nice that is very nice but you still get the glory points you still get everything like that you still you still get credit for playing the game Mm -hmm. and you get credit for your quests because there's specialized things that allow or there's specialized rules that allow you to say okay well if you are in your opponent's deployment zone at the end of the game then you get credit toward this quest or that quest or you get extra experience so that's kind of nice yeah it is Another thing that I thought was a bit of a limitation were the casualties. At first I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, things take casualties. You'll have like oh, maybe eight out of 10 here, or nine out of 10 here. But what I found was they are not inhibitive to playing a full game. People, I noticed they, you have the option of withdrawing at any time. If you have 50% losses, a lot of people do that just so that they don't have to roll additional casualty rolls. The other day I had a game where the guy theoretically could have won had it gone to five turns, but it would have been a really bloody game because against corn at the shop, my, my games are always bloody. I always, I always kill a whole bunch of their units and they always kill a bunch of my units. And I don't really care about the casualties that much, but this guy was very not interested in rolling casualty rolls. So he quit in like turn three, like the top of turn three, because he didn't want most of his army dead, even though he had a chance to win the game. I mean, you do get extra glory points for winning your game. I don't think the rewards are high enough to make it balance out the casualties that you would take. I agree. And I think that there is kind of a middle point that you can hit here with casualties. Like, let's say instead of, because normally what will happen is if a model dies during the battle, you have to roll for each and every model. And at the end of the battle... If you roll a one for that model, they suffer a casualty and then that's it. That that unit is now down from 10 to nine or five to four, or three to two or however many it is. Or 10 to seven. You have to spend glory points to like recuperate them. And if they, and it's not even guaranteed, it's like on a four up. Yes. But I think a better, a more simplified version of this, what would make it a little more fun for people, but still immersive is that if you rolled any ones for that unit, you just suffer one casualty. You would roll per unit instead of per model. No, no, you'd still roll per model. So like if five of your guys died, you'd roll five dice. And if you rolled any ones whatsoever, then one one casualty from that unit. There would be one, one guy So it's down. a maximum of one casualty. Yeah. So you'd be coming into a battle because nobody wants to come into a battle with three out of five guys. Yeah. And nobody wants to come into a battle with six out of 10 or even seven out of 10 guys. But nine out of 10, eh, you're like, eh, one guy. That's not going to really make a, a, a big difference. And I think it would be received a lot better. And then you could you could simplify it even further by saying, okay, well, they recuperate that casualty if either you don't use them in the next game. So you don't use the unit or if they don't take any further casualties. So if that unit, the next game, didn't take any casualties, bam, back up to 10 or back up yeah. to 5. I think that would be a real simplified version that would kind of be immersive, but also not punishing to somebody with bad RNG. And that's what I really hate to see, because RNG in games, I feel like, is one thing, because you can joke around with your buddies and be like, oh man, yeah, those are terrible rules. But RNG outside of a game makes you lose your next game kind of automatically. And we had a Seraphon player in the league who constantly had his skinks die because, you know, that's what skinks do. They're kind of screens. 
And then he would lose like four of them. And he'd say, well, I kind of don't want to play with a unit that only has like six out of 10 skinks in it because it's, it's a waste. It's I'm still being charged all these points, but I don't have all these guys. What do you think about that? I like the idea that you have having to roll for casualty for each individual model is painful. Exactly like you were saying, when you have a unit like your Vargas or my unit of Wrathmongers, losing one or two models is, you might as well just lose the unit because it's just... Well, you could lose one Wrathmonger and say, eh, it could be worse, right? Well, I meant like losing one every time you fall oh, yeah. So like ha- being down to three Wrathmongers out of five is kind of devastating. Yeah. That unit has to have a presence on the board. It only has an eight inch bubble. But if I knew that they could recoup by not fighting the next battle. And without help. spending glory to do it. Because yeah. a lot of times you have to spend glory to recoup your units. And it's even on a four plus or a two plus if, if they aren't in the battle. And I feel like spending glory for a chance is is terrible. Because if you're spending glory for a chance, you might as well just retire the unit and then get a new unit for guaranteed glory, right? Yes, I agree. And that just kind of slows the path to glory. It just needs to be a little more eloquent in the design, and I think they'll get there. Yes, I agree. So you also get a role in the new territory chart and get the ability to spend 10 glory points to get that territory and or upgrade another territory that you already have. Now, the problem that we've been having at the store is that Well, people haven't been rolling the territories that they want. If you constantly roll not the territory you want, eventually you look at your army and at 1500 points, you all of a sudden can't put in those monsters that you want. You can't put in additional priests or additional wizards because you, you know, you chose a different territory to start with based on whatever you wanted at a thousand points. And now you're just sitting here twiddling your thumbs playing 1500 points with sort of, I don't want to say a subpar army, but not the army that you imagined and not the army that you painted up and built. If you have an opponent who got lucky with his roles or her roles and rolled on the chart exactly what they wanted, and now their army is built and geared out to be optimal and yours is not, it's going to give you a disadvantage. I agree. And not just that, but GW needs to understand that building armies is never random. Nobody builds a random army. Nobody, not one person. Everybody looks at their army and says, wow, that's a really neat faction. I want this model because it's really cool. I want this model because it's really good. And I want this unit because I have to have it because it's a battle line. And then I want another couple of units because they're either a combination of good or looks good or is what they want to run or how they want to run. So like if you really like casting, oh yeah, you're going to go for those caster units. If you really like demons, then you're going to be like, oh, I, I want, I want this or that or the other thing. And I feel like Path to Glory this in particular, before it was even worse. But this one sort of says, hey, start with what you want, but then how you're going to build it, how you're going to grow, that's that's up to the dice. And nobody does that. No. And nobody, like, nobody wants to hate buy something that they get a territory for. So if you get a territory for a monster, but you're looking for a wizard, you're not going to stomp over to the shelf and then buy a monster, put it together and paint it up and say, well, this isn't what I really wanted, but I rolled on the dice. So this is what I guess I have to have. Yeah, I agree. And it's just going to cause people to have homebrew rules to yeah. make up for. That's exactly right. And that's what we did. Yeah. So you can, you get a, ter- a role in the new territory chart and you can either take it or not. It's cost 10 glory points if you take it and cost zero if you leave it there 
And then you also could upgrade another territory that you have, which gives you an additional two slots for that territory, which is kind of neat and kind of interesting and sort of okay. And this is kind of where I want to say certain factions, they suffer more than others. So for instance, if you have a Slaves to Darkness army and you need lots of heroes, like you want to run maximum heroes because that's what Slaves to Darkness does at around 2000 points, you want to run like five heroes is certain factions allow you to summon in based on your generals and you you get extra command traits for your generals based on your sub faction things like that and if you don't roll the large settlement well guess you're stuck at three right yeah and that's not fun the most egregious part about this is sons of behemoth because they run monster heavy and you have to start them out at 700 points because one of your hqs and one gargant is right around 700 i think it's like 665 or 675 but then when you want to go if you chose a wildlands and then you upgraded it then you get a maximum of four monsters right so at 2k you're stuck at like two giants, two HQ giants, and then one pack of giants or two lone giants, and you don't get anywhere near 2,000 points. And I'll tell you what, those giants are not cheap. If you bought two of the big giants and then you bought a bunch of little giants and that's how you want to play at at 2,000 points where you have a bunch of units of little giants rolling around, that's not how Path of Glory is going to allow you to play. Well, let me ask you, can't you bring in allies? Yeah, you can. The point is, it's not the army list that you imagined, and it's not the army list that you want to run, because I noticed that... I agree. You can bring in allies, and sometimes that could be fun, or you know, you could be convinced into it, but some people just really like what they have. Some people don't want to buy and paint a bunch of stuff. Well, nobody, also, being the devil's advocate here, nobody says you have to play 2,000-point battles. True, but like, for instance, our league is... 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. So once it gets to the 2,000 point, you can either play or you can say to your opponent, hey, I know you wanted to get in a 2,000 point game, but I really only can have 1,750 points of Gargants. So can we play a 1,750 game instead? And they'll say, I guess, because that's what you have and that's what we're forced to do. I think most people are very accommodating and you don't have to, like we talked about, you don't have to play all your battles with other path to glory people. I understand yeah. for leagues, it's kind of different, but for us, we would just kind of say, meh, you'd shrug our shoulders and um, fudge the numbers on a wildlands, but in an organized, and I say organized because I am going to do something like this for Nova open. I want to do a path to glory for Nova open. And I want to have, cause it's like three days. And I feel like that's really perfect because we could play. I was actually going to do a reverse path to glory. I was thinking about that. Start at 2,000 points for the first games, and then you go down to 1,500 and then down to 1,000 as your war bands are getting sort of decimated by the, the follies of war. The constant fighting of war. Yeah. And plus it kind of, uh, for from what I've noticed, when you first get there, you're hopped up to play games and you're more likely to want to play higher point games. But then on the last day, you're like, oh my God. I'm dying. I'm on five hours of sleep and I got to play the biggest games yet. You know what I mean? So I think a reverse path to glory would work well. So that's kind of what I was thinking, but I'm definitely going to have to heavily modify this and simplify it because I'll tell you what, it was hard just trying to teach the, you know, 10 or so people down at the shop how to do all this and aftermaths and everything. Imagine having to do it for like 25 or 30 people. I, that'd be rough. Yeah, it would be rough. Hopefully 
a few of them would know how to do Path to Glory to start with. Yeah, um, hopefully. Yeah. I want to let you guys know that I don't have a problem with starting limitations. I actually think that the starting limitations are really good. Just saying, okay, well, you only have three heroes. Only one of those can be a wizard. Only one of the, you know, one war machine, one behemoth. And with the option for like one more, if you choose that, those starting limitations are really good. And I support them in their entirety. It's everything after the starting limitations that I'm kind of not so keen on because we all have those people that make super broken 1000 point lists that just can't be handled or have a, not maybe can't be handled because I feel like any list at a thousand can be handled by a person who knows both factions. But if you are playing a list that's very, very heavily skewed to something or the other thing, and then your opponent is a new player, it may be very hard for them to handle that. Well, I want to kind of talk about how we started testing this this thing because we, we've had two battles, right? Yes. And what did you think of the first battle where we just rolled open play? I liked it. I think the first battle went really well. Okay, yeah. And so in the second battle, we played an actual battle plan from from the Path to Glory. And I noticed that those battle plans are very, very limited. They are very, they have specific sets of circumstances that you have to narratively put your army in. I did not like it as well. She did not like it as well. I can understand that. All right. So that's how to pretty much build a path to glory list. And that's how we would sort of upgrade. And you'll see our upgrades as we kind of go along. I really wanted to do kind of like a crusade for 40k versus AOS path to glory. I wanted to take the two and say, well, here's where this one does better. And here's where that one does better. But we just didn't have time yet to start to a, start a crusade with Renee. Cause I have to, I have to teach her 40 K again. And then she has to get an army list. So what we might do for that is I think that might be a good bonus episode in between the weeks, just record a little segment about path to glory versus crusade. And then afterward, we can kind of talk about how you like crusade and what you thought of it versus what you thought of Path to Glory, things like that. Yeah, we could do that. Next up is going to be an interview with Justin, and we're going to talk about his Path to Glory tracker, and we're going to talk about our experiences running the Path to Glory narrative in our local store, High Tech Games. So stay tuned for that. Hey, welcome back. I have Justin with me. He's a good friend of mine who made a Path to Glory flowchart slash Excel document that really helps with all of this complication and all of the complicated aftermath for everything. So how are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing pretty good. It's a nice, quiet Saturday. Looking forward to going over Path to Glory. Excellent. Yeah, I left my daughter at the High Tide Games. I just said, don't get stolen and I'll be back afterward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, the uh, tool that I've made is in Google Sheets. Um, it can be used to pretty much track everything you do in Path to Glory, from your battle roster to all of your territories. It is modeled after the sheets that you see in the big rule book. I've added an aftermath section that kind of goes through all the steps that you would see, not necessarily in the in the same order, but in an order that makes sense. And it has a bunch of drop-down menus and fields for you to enter the results of your battle, and then it kind of auto-calculates everything and applies all your changes. Everything from new units, upgraded units, new territories, upgraded territories, um, the whole shebang. So you don't have to actually do all this stuff yourself on paper, cross things out, upgrade it all. It just does it all for you. And let me tell you, it is 
very nice, especially when you're trying because it's it's also has an order of battle trackers. So you just build your army list straight from the straight from the application itself, right? Yeah, I had to ham jam pretty much all of the points from the new general's handbook in there, and I've already gone through and put in the ones from the uh, new Orc War Clans battle tome in Stormcast Eternals. Nice, nice. So you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about the challenges that you have going forward because, as you said, you've had to implement a couple of changes from the new battle tones. How how is that shaken? up with changing for the new territories it's actually uh presented a little bit of a challenge because a lot of the narrative path to glory stuff is so unique in these new battle tomes i'm really having to figure out whether i want to just create individual tools for each battle tome or try and compress it all into one i feel like it's going to get buggy if you have to compress it all into one but if you were working from a master and can just say okay this this new battle tomb came out. I'll make one for Skaven. I'll make one for Stormcast Eternals. Yeah, that's the main. So the main thing that I'm running into an issue with that is that if I have to have an individual sheet for each one, then I would have to manually go in and update all the points list and any new units whenever those updates come out, which is a lot more work. What I'm considering is. of doing is instead of making individual sheets, I can create that aftermath tab and have one that's different per faction. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you hear a little tippy taps, that's uh, Justin's dogs. They're in here with us, recording with us. They're happy to be here. I see tails wagon drools on the floor. Mainly my uh, golden retriever. He's a, a big guy. But he's, he's a good boy is what he is. Yeah. He was, he just turned 10 this month. So Aww, he's, a, he's cute. Yeah. I like him. All right. So let's uh, move a little bit on to path to glory. Let's talk about it. Cause we've been running a path to glory at high tag games where we play. We're now in the 1500 point level. We were at a thousand. We started at a thousand, went up to 1500. I can say that, you know, we, we've sort of, sort of had a mixed bag of success and challenges, right? Yeah. The biggest challenges we've kind of run into is uh, the fact that our store league is kind of bracketed in about 12 weeks for the whole league, but the actual point growth doesn't really sync up all the time with path to glory. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. I, a lot of times what will happen is a couple of players and especially new players will have to spend a lot of glory points just to reinforce units. They may have to actually uh, retire units if so many die. It's just been a pain for them because some people, super easy to get up to 1,500 points in three or four weeks. But when you only have three or four battles, all of a sudden we thought to ourselves, oh no, we're never going to be able to get like an extra 50 or 60 points to upgrade our bastions or strongholds. Yeah, specifically within like a bracketed league. It's it's clear that the design of this game was to be a long, slow grow campaign versus, you know, trying to get everything in within a specific time. Yeah, they definitely want you to play like 25 or maybe even 30 battles to get up to that just above 2000 points. Well, I really do like that you can start at that 750 or 1,000 point uh, level instead of that awful 500 point block because a lot of people I notice there are very good armies and there are very poor, I should say, very good battle tomes and very poor battle tomes at 500 points and some can't even get to 500 points. Oh yeah, I remember um, in 2nd edition Beast Claw Raiders trying to get them, well, um, yeah, because they weren't even Ogre War Clans for the longest time or Ogre Ma, Ma Tribes. Uh, it was almost impossible to get a playable list at 500 points yeah and sons of behemoth they can't do it at 500 they just oh, can't yeah. you, you, you can't can you even manage it i think you might be able to manage 650. it at 650 because you would have that's one gargant one points. man crusher one 450 and one one i think it's like 180 or something like that that's for the lazy painter yep yep 
Hey, two models. I, I kind of want to paint up some of those. They look really good. I, I have one that's half assembled, one of the Mega Guardians um, on my sh- in one of my boxes on my shelf. I haven't painted it or anything. I was trying to figure out if I could. <laughs> if you heard a snore, that was my dog. Um, oh, yeah. I was wondering if it was Mabel. Trying to magnetize it to make it usable for the three variants, but... Mm, yeah, that's um, tough. It also, if it, you can get a your your game is a lot more fun. I think at around seven hundred and fifty points versus six hundred or five hundred. Yeah, because at five hundred points, you really can't do three objectives. It's difficult to capture three objectives, and at five hundred points, you really only have a couple of model or a couple of units. And if one or two of those units die before your opponent's units die or get kind of knocked down, then you're really out of luck. And a lot of times they could like, hey, what if I brought father or the bloodthirster that just set straight up says hey have four mortal wounds have some more mortal wounds oh yeah could you bring him in at that point level though because of the uh yeah i thought, I thought the rule was around one model being can't be over half your points limit oh yeah that's right so he would have to be in at 300 point or 600 points at 750 though he is definitely you you could bring him in yeah and your opponent should have something to be able to counter that or at least mitigate it yeah so that's a really good point and i really wish they had given the opportunity to start like a custom hero kind of like that anvil of apotheosis i I think that the next time we do a store league we should do an anvil of apotheosis right i agree 100 that was actually one of my favorite things that has come out in one of the general handbooks i I don't think it was in the was it in the 2021 i believe that it came out yeah, it was in 2020. No, it was in 2020. And then they did supplements for each of the factions in, in White Dwarf over the year. I didn't catch that in them, but it's actually pretty interesting. So now if you get your Warhammer Plus, if you get your Warhammer Plus, then all of a sudden you can have those issues. And maybe we might want to consider that for the next league. I've considered making my own little tracking tool for Anvil Apotheosis as well, just be- with a bunch of drop down menus. So the fact that it's all in Warhammer Plus means that I could easily incorporate all of that. Um, to kind of like generate your own custom war scroll. I like it. I like it. The one thing that we would have to consider, I think, is the um, the points differencing because Anvil of Apotheosis kind of has a small guide on how to rate the points of the of your custom hero or model. But mm-hmm. since everything kind of changed and we saw things go up across the board, we'd probably have to like times that by like adding additional 15% point value because I mean everything in this edition has gone up in points kind of I guess some of the orc stuff the war clan stuff they actually went down in points when they got their codex right there I mean their battles from true I was actually noticing that it's kind of like everything went up with orcs and then now all of a sudden that's kind of a lot of them drop back down yeah and I will say having a custom hero is really nice because it goes from let's get this army started to here's this guy that I created that sort of represents me on the battlefield and it's going to lead my army to victory specifically yeah for with path to glory it almost it's almost a shame that it really isn't in there because it's all about your warlord and their journey to leading this army on the path to glory so being able to make that custom warlord even you know kit bashing models and stuff to make that warlord is really yeah like when rebecca was uh doing her daughters of cain stuff she had a custom hero called that she called cup chucka and it was like this this like priestess who had cups full of like molten blood or something that she was chucking all over the place it was like a ranged hero that was pretty awesome i had used an aspiring death bringer 
in Nova and I had a whole path to glory kind of thing set up. This was in 2019. And the whole thing was that he was trying to tame demonhood and he had, and the army had to claim, I think it was like 88 skulls or something in order for him to become a demon model. Oh, nice. I love that. What's nice is in the battle tombs now, they actually have conversion charts for how you can take a smaller hero and upgrade them throughout your campaign to the larger models. So from like a regular mega boss to a mega boss on Maul Crusher. I do love that. And I will say, I we have to do this. Next time, we're definitely doing it because, and I don't mind if it's, if it's not that many points. We could just say, hey, uh, anybody who wants to try hard, then don't do that, please. You know, we could be like, yeah. oh, come on, guys. I'm sure our guys are pretty good about that kind of stuff, though. We could also have them, you know, submit it to us as kind of like the coordinators to make sure that we're, they're not trying to sneak in something a little too... Yeah, a little too under-costed and overpowered, if that makes sense. Yeah. I will say, though, I don't really enjoy the inclusion of unique characters in Path to Glory, and some battle tones are kind of almost forced to use unique characters like, say, yours, your specific faction that you love. What, you have three non-unique characters that you can choose from? For the way I play mine, yeah. I know that... Uh, for, for reference, I'm playing Lumineth Realm Lords in, in this league. I, I love the aesthetic of them. And I mainly just play the Venari units. I will say that before they got their second battle tome within a year, they really didn't have... There was like only one non-named hero, I think. Or no, there was two. And let me tell you... His models look fantastic. There's He has this beautiful uh, metallic sea green that he has. Some people say it looks green. Some people say it looks blue. It's kind of like that dress, you know, from a bunch of years ago. Yeah, that was not intentional, I, but I somehow just got some sort of color illusion effect. I will say putting a contrast paint over a metallic will give you this beautiful, almost candied metal look. Almost like you tried to make a non-metallic metallic. Yeah, it definitely gives you that beautiful candy shell. I love it a lot. And let me tell you, Justin has put so many hours into this army. It looks fantastic. Beautiful. But it's still not finished. <laughs> yep. So so that's really some of the challenges that you can you can see for Path to Glory. You really want to tell your players, hey, try not to put a bunch of unique characters in because A, they won't get experience points, and B, I don't know. I always felt like it's more it's more special to when you're like, I'm Lord Black Skull and I'm leading this army, and not like Oh, well, this is Sila Angrim. Hi, everybody. We're in Blades to Corn. Everybody knows us. You could theoretically, with your own homebrew characters, transition between armies. So say, like, we had mentioned, we had talked about this before, that I might have had my Lumineth-themed a little bit Slaneshi, which they could be one day. Like, say mm. I wanted to start a Slaanesh army. For all, my, for all I know, you know, during the path to glory, these elves might fall to chaos and corruption, and I can continue the campaign with a Slaanesh army because they might have literally fallen to chaos. Yeah, that would be really terrible. I mean, great. <laughs> it would be fantastic. Another thing that the they initially restrict you in are behemoths, wizards, war machines, things like that. So you can't just take like precisely 10 billion behemoths or five wizards or, you know, three war machines in your initial starting lineup. And I really did like that. I ended up enjoying that because it gave everybody a frame of reference of, well, at least you won't be going up against four behemoths in a... 750 point list you know oh yeah specifically starting out allowing people to take like say one extra of each versus just adding in a new territory to to get those starting limits i do like that it's it it limits you but again it can negatively affect so many other armies it definitely can like your lumineth we wrestled with that question for the longest time even before the faq came out because we were like oh no is is his units, are they wizards? Are they not wizards? Does it count? Can he take this? 
Yeah, that was something we were really tr- we were like s- scouring the core rules, trying to figure out whether the fact that a single model from the unit was a wizard made the entire unit as a, a wizard because the Path to Glory rules mentions wizard units. Because any other Lumineth players will know that the main battle line is the Wardens and they're a wizard, or they have a wizard. Luckily, the FAQ yep. came out and clarified that, but there are other armies like how do you how would you also do um sons of bahamut where it's nothing but um, monsters well that was one of the questions that i had because if you're going to do them then you have to have you obviously you have to have the wildlands starting territory and then you have as your 650 point army you've got a behemoth and then you've got a gargan and then when you get up to a thousand points you need to upgrade that so that way you have two more slots and then you retire the one gargan the little baby one, the baby giant, and then you get a pack of giants. But even then you can only have three or maybe even two and then another hero. But that only brings you up to like 1,475 points, I think, 1,475. And the main problem is that with the way, the way that they have you get territories by rolling for them, I know that's something that, that you're not a big fan of. No, I'm definitely not a big fan of it. And I'll tell you why. It's because the way that you build an army is you say, Oh, this unit is useful. It's a behemoth. Oh, this unit is cool. It looks good. It's a war machine. Oh, this unit is really neat. It's a wizard. And then there's like one or two other wizards. And the way that they want you to build an army is roll randomly on this chart. And then if you randomly get a monster, great, excellent. Have another monster. And you're like, well, I already have one monster in this army. I don't want another monster. I want another hero. Because say, if I'm Slaves to Darkness and I want to be able to summon and I want more than one hero because I get extra command traits or extra artifacts or whatever, you know, in Cities of Sigmar, they give out extra artifacts for one of their sub-factions. And then all of a sudden you don't have anybody to put that artifact on, but you have, you have to take it or you don't have to take it, but that's your sub-faction. It's how you want to build your army. So I feel like that should be, should be a lot less restrictive. And one of the things that I thought you should have been able to do was to pick a 66 on the chart when you're rolling for the territory or roll for the territory, but just... Justin had a better idea that I thought was much more elegant. So yeah, the idea I had um, was that rather than those scout fertile lands being you get to roll for two territories, that it would have been better if it would just let you select one of the territories from one of the ones that is available. Act as if you had rolled a 66 on the chart. Well, that's the thing now is um, with the 66, have you gotten a chance to look at the Path to Glory rules in any of the new tomes? No. Those are the ones for your faction now. Uh Uh-oh. 61 through 66 are now your faction terrain, so when you roll those, you you get to grab the your faction terrain. Okay, so in that case, uh, <laughs> I, I would not do that. I would do what Justin said. So certainly. it would be, I think that the Scout Fertile Lands quest should be that you select a territory versus getting to roll twice. Because especially if you're an army that like you're thinking, I have no way of advancing if I don't get this exact one territory. And the chances of I'm going to have to play a dozen battles at the same with the same army I have and hope I don't suffer so many casualties that I can't afford it when I finally roll for it. I agree. And I want to compare it to Crusade because I've been playing a lot of Crusade lately. No, nor, I've been playing in a 40k Crusade League at High Tide and I am super happy with that. Blake's been running that with Phil. And I found that this Path to Glory has been very restrictive. Whereas Crusade, you earn your points and you take your out of battle tests. And if you fail them, then you get scars essentially. And some of the scars are quite terrible, but at least you don't have things dying left and right. And then you just spend your requisition on whatever you want. You say, okay, well, one requisition is five power level. Well, why can't five glory points be what, like a hundred or 200 points? 
or 300 well, points. That is actually kind of how they do that in here. It's but it's again there's a there's just a lot more It's a lot more restrictive. Yeah, it's bookkeeping and a lot more restrictive because you just can't get what you want for your army. And I understand what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is say, "Okay, well, we want to make sure that nobody hauls off the deep end and grabs a bunch of behemoths." But honestly, that is kind of how you build your army in certain instances. And I've not seen anybody from our league say, okay, well, I'm going to try and game the system. And even we had, even the one guy who brought Gotrick to a thousand points, he did not win the majority of his games with that Gotrick. Well, at least against the players who knew not to just throw everything at Gotrick and watch all your, your units die. <laughs> and even um, then it wasn't like they had no chance or anything. It's just that a lot of times you know what to do with Gotrick now. Yeah, you have to you have to focus on the battle plan versus focusing on the on on the staying away from not the big model but essentially the uh, the little the thirty two millimeter model. Yeah. The, yeah, you just have to try to stay away from him or lead him away, and if you can do that, then you'll definitely you'll definitely end up winning. The one thing that I do would argue that um Path to Glory has over Crusade. I haven't played as much Crusade for context for anyone listening, but I felt the amount uh, like between all the different scars and honors you could get in Crusade, it was a lot to manage and keep on your mind while in battle. There's even times where I forget to use my veteran abilities in Path to Glory even though I have them, let alone when I was doing Crusade and I might have multiple scars and not intentionally, but I'd forget to have the unit be a detriment. Whereas what I like about the casualties is is it's very easy to remember before the battle starts, I'm down two models in this unit and that, and my hero has two wounds on them. I agree with that. I will say that 40 K is a lot to remember in every single phase of every game. I really wish that they would go to the same model that crusade. I'm sorry, not crusade. Um, that path to glory has where it's like, okay, well once per turn, one of your units can use one of its veteran abilities and then that's it. And if you forget to use it, well, I guess you'll have four turns then to use veteran abilities. Yeah. Oh, and that's the nice thing about the little tracker tool I had is it has a printout sheet for all of your units and it has a little reminder section at the bottom with all the veteran abilities. So, although in crusade, I will say it's not that big of a deal. If you don't remember your veteran abilities, it's not, you're not like super, you're not going to, win or lose a game i feel like based on those veteran abilities some of them are good and some of them you definitely remember but it is what it is i noticed also that a lot of the battle plans seem very thematic but they are kind of off balance a little bit like they definitely seem like they put you in a narrative spot based on what the battle plan is like they're like okay well in this one it's called ambush and you were going to attack them but they ambushed you and that's it you just kind of have to do that battle plan and play it exactly that way yeah i will say that from the ones we played that are in the core book there were some that i felt that were more balanced than others but other but they're again they're thematic right in our store league we have no problem taking just simple match play battle plans and throwing them in the mix yeah, definitely. And I would say that this is a point in Crusade's favor because when Crusade comes out with a battle pack, like a, a mission pack, they say, okay, well, here are the six missions that you can use at low power level, like 25 power, level, which is essentially about 500 points. And here's the missions that you should use between 50 and maybe 75 power level. And then there, here are the missions that are used at 100 plus power level. And there's 18 missions that are very, very thematic and very good. For instance, today I played a meat grinder at 25 power level where every time you destroyed something or every time something was destroyed it came immediately back on the table and justin was just telling me he was like yeah in a 2000 point battle that would grind down really fast like you would your game would take forever and i was thinking to myself 
Yeah, that's why they made it for the 25 power level. Yeah, literally like probably within half an hour of coming over here to, to record this, it was when that battle just happened. Um, I will say that I, I definitely hope they come out with some battle packs similar to that for Path to Glory. But at the very least, from what I've seen is in the new battle tomes, is that there are custom quests for your faction that will unlock battle plans that will trigger certain faction-specific rewards. So I do kind of like that, but I do wish that they actually almost had like a, a, a little narrative campaign system to get the wheels rolling in your head for i agree in 40k when they had their new when ninth edition came out they dropped a crusade kit immediately and it was like space Marines versus necrons and it was very awesome because all of a sudden there were 18 battle plans in there and then some more battle plans in the main rule book and you had a bunch of battle plans to sort of pick from when you're trying to do those missions. And it was great. I remember that pack. It was called like Into the Void or something. Something like that. Another thing that we noticed is that a lot of the battle plans that are in the Path to Glory section seem to be very weird for a small deployment. Like If you're playing 700 points or 750 points on that really small board, what is it, 30 by 44? Uh, yes, 30 by 44. It should be exactly half of the big one. 60, 60 by 44 is the large size. So. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're playing 30 by 44, then it didn't really make sense because they were like, yeah, put these objectives nine inches apart and six inches from the board edge and can't hit a train, can't do this, can't do that. And I looked at it at one of them and I was like, okay, well, our deployment zone, according to this, is like two inches all the way across and there isn't enough room on the battle platform you know, on the battle map for all the things. You know what I mean? I do know that the Path to Glory rules actually recommend that anything a thousand and over should, for their battle plans, use the larger battle size or battle mat size. And I agree with that. But even then, it kind of gives you like this weird situation of having to figure out your movement. Because if you're a slow army, it could still kind of be hard to fit the thematics into that battle plan. I think a decent mod would be to have like a middle size battlefield. But again... GW, it looks like, was trying to just be, be like, all right, we're going to cut the battlefield in half, and that's the small version. My idea would be if you were to try and modify this to get, give yourself a middle-sized battlefield would be to take the old battle mats that are six foot by four foot and just cut them in half so that you end up with a 48-inch by 36-inch battlefield, which may not seem like that much bigger, but you'd be surprised just how much more real estate you get by those extra inches on the sides. I agree, and I like that. The reason why they didn't do that, and I can tell you this right now, is because, number one, you remember they had those little tiles that they Mm -hmm. packaged in? They didn't package that size in, Yeah, and they aren't that. So they wanted to say, okay, well, these are the ones that we already have packaged. These are the one that's, ones that are already out, so these are the ones you're going to use. Yeah, it makes sense. That's just my recommended way if you're playing at home and you have a 6x4 battle mat to like mod it for yourself if you wanted to give it a try. I completely um, agree, especially at 1,000 points. I feel yeah. like that would be a great a midway table size. You want me to put the microphone next to my dog while she snores? <laughs> I want to point Sleepy out dog. that... His dog is snoring in the corner and his cat is just right above my head. I don't know why. He seems to have taken a liking to either the top of this chair or me. Um, probably you. He He's Cats like you. Eh, cats like me. It's because they know that I'll, I'll get cat hair all over me by rubbing them. Okay, so let's move on. Renee and I just tried an open play mission using Path to Glory and found it to be really a good way to drive a narrative story with an open play what we did was we rolled on the chart and then we rolled again then we rolled again and we revolved our story around the mission so we rolled a mission where we had three objectives 
on each player's side and each player was trying to take their opponent's objectives you know so there were three in her deployment zone and three in my deployment zone and our objective was to take your opponent's objective and not let our objectives be taken so we said oh well that's great we found six dragon eggs like i found three and she found three and i'm trying to take her dragon eggs away and and she says well i'm trying to make more of whatever chaotic crap that she was trying to make. So she was going to do that to the dragon eggs and they were kind of ossified. So that's kind of an example of how the narrative should revolve around the, what we, what you roll or the, the battle plan that you make up. It was sort of easy to do that. But when we did our other, our next one, when we did our second mission, we did an ambush, which if you recall, you did with your orcs and my zombies. Oh yeah, babaka. Yeah, babaka. That's that's something I really enjoy. If you if you have the imagination and a good improvisation, you can come up with some amazing narrative stories just off the cuff during your battles. So this was this is when we were first testing. Bath of Glory had just coming out come out with 3.0, and he was playing Soul Blight, and I was playing Orcs, um, just well straight Iron Jaws. And I'm trying to remember correctly. He had a zombie dragon. His name is Rufus. Rufus, the Rufus, the zombie dragon. And my weird knob, I want to say, uh, was trying to kill him. No, you. He had a. It was like the second battle, and you had just added dire wolves to your army. Yep. And the the story was that uh, Rufus had a litter of puppies. Yes, because originally it was a dog who got turned into a zombie dragon when Evangeline got turned into a vampire. That's exactly correct. So that was her litter of dire wolf puppies. So my orcs just like wrecked the dire wolves and uh he was like oh he, he made me feel guilty for killing his puppies yeah every time he killed one i was like oh, oh no but, you killed another one of rufus's puppies he's coming for you so the joke became that my weird knob shaman was like okay they're not he's not killing them but he is spaying and neutering them so now uh we came up with the orc name for the weird knob babaka yeah like instead Bob of barker <laughs> yeah and he, and what was the tagline spy and neuter <laughs> yeah yeah so that made me feel a lot better because then he wasn't killing my dogs he wasn't killing him he was just spaying and neutering him actually which is just as bad to evangeline but yeah that was really cool i loved that a lot of all of the path to glories that i've played so far and i think i've played four that path to glory i feel like was the most narrative because we had so much fun thinking up things like that and then i had a necromancer that joined so i was like oh yeah it's the veterinarian and he has this oh, bad yeah. comb over and everything oh yeah um i believe bob barker got the veterinarian too at one point but then evangeline came over and got bob baka evangeline <laughs> was like get off of him you chuck he didn't even rate a name, did he? Though it was just the veterinarian. He he didn't. He wasn't allowed to be called anything else. I think. Yeah. He every time he would he would try to tell Evangeline that he was not indeed, in fact, a veterinarian. She would just completely ignore him in her own delusion. He's like, uh, actually, my name is," and she'd be like, "No, no, 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 veterinarian. That's who you are." <laughs> and he was like, "Yep, I'm a veterinarian. All right." So yeah, anyone with like a with, who enjoy who just enjoys narrative and coming up with creative stories can really take some of those battle plans and just run with them. And I, I I highly suggest that you look at the open play and do those for at least one or two of your battle plans when you're running this, especially at low points cost, because they can be very fun and very easy to make a narrative up based on the twist and based on oh, and our twist at that we rolled up was that it was nighttime. So we couldn't really see each other. 
we didn't really have anything but harsh words anyway for shooting. That's what I call army without shooting. Like Renee's corn army just has harsh language. If you bring a Korgorath, you got you got a six inch range attack that you can have some fun with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you have a corn rat. Actually, recently, Renee included in her corn list a Slaves to Darkness uh, unit, which I thought was absolute garbage. I didn't think would do anything. And I was like, you're wasting your time with that chariot, that Gorby's chariot. And she goes, oh, no, I've got plans for this. Let me tell you, when a Gorby's chariot comes in with an extra two attacks on every one of its profiles and it charges, oh, man. I do think that uh, they might be trying to revamp some of the chariots because I know that they were a little lackluster in second edition. But um, if you've seen, um, believe it or not, the new Stormcast chariot, I don't think is half bad. It, it has a pretty good mortal really wound, good. wound output on its charge. I agree. And the thing that stuck out to me that really actually kind of stuck in my craw a little bit, like it got me a little bit upset because the um, the War Clans book has giant pigs with no rend whatsoever. Yeah. But the chariot with its razor sharp beak and claws, they get minus two rend. And I feel like that was a little much. Yeah, I think both would rate a minus one at the yep. most. I mean, at, at the very least, unless, you know, they've filed down the board tusks for teeth. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when a board that size comes at you, it has to. Oh, man, it's got to do some rend. Limp bacon. <laughs> Limp bacon. Yeah, that's it. They don't actually charge into battle. They charge over and they just roll over on their belly and they're like, scratch my belly. <laughs> I, I, at the very least, would have. I was trying to look through the battle tome a little bit and see if there was anything that would give rend. Because you had mentioned that a lot of the new orc stuff doesn't have a lot of rend, specifically in the bone splitters. Yeah, bone splitters have, having no rend and no saves mean that in third edition where rend is king and saves and the ability to add plus one to you, a good save will keep a unit alive almost indefinitely. It just means that they're kind of, they're in FEC territory. Yeah, but again, who knows? They might surprise you. Um, it doesn't, on paper, I can definitely see how it's, the Stormcast got a lot more love than the orcs did this uh in this battle tone, but I mean, you you have to admit you were a little skeptical about zombies when they in, in Soul Blight, and then they turned out to be fantastic. Well, I was a little bit skeptical of the zombies at first, only because when I looked at them, I was like, "What? How does this unit good?" But then, as soon as I realized that they didn't have to charge you in order to get into combat, I was oh, like, yeah. "Yeah, they're fragile, but they'll also be like, oh, here's like fifteen or twenty mortal wounds." I'm sure that there's someone out there is going to find, is going to be looking through the meta and figure out some way to make it work. But again, it's it's a challenge, definitely. Comparing the points, though, is the real difficult thing when you're if you're trying to figure out the balance. But a little off topic, but <laughs> yeah, it's fine because uh, you know I will be talking about the new two new battle tomes in the next one. But I I'd like to get a first impressions now, and my first impression here is when you're running a stormcast army, every unit that's in there is pretty darn viable. You look at it and you say, yeah, I've got a place in my army that this could fill. I would agree. I would definitely, I agree with you in saying that the Stormcast got a lot more love than the orcs did, especially, well, specifically the older orcs that were, that are in the new orc uh, warclans. The one difference I would say is that the orc warclans got a lot more in terms of faction abilities than the Stormcasts did. There's a still, their main, like everyone faction abilities for the Stormcast is still a little simplistic, I think. Simplistic, but that just means you have less to remember, I think. The main thing that I can see right now when I look at the break a boss on Giant Trogoth, and then I compare it to the Stormcast Hero on a Dragon, the break a boss has no rend on its attacks, and it has to hurt itself to give the Trog two extra attacks. 
And the Stormcast on a Dragon has minus three rent. Yeah, that's nasty. The only reason I think that they don't have the rent is because um, the Cruel Boys get that the, the Mortal Wound equivalent to the damage characteristic on hit rolls of sixes. But I don't know if, I don't think that neg- is equivalent to that rend because, again, that you're you're relying on a six. The Trogoth can heal itself, though, at the very least. So you can recoup those wounds back a bit, but still, it do- doesn't prevent you from dying before the next hero phase. That's true. And when you're looking at those Mortal Wounds and whether it's worth it or not, it's Important to mention that your Stormcast battle line has exactly that with Ren. Oh, yeah. The, and the, a good save. That is the one really interesting new faction ability I saw, the mortal wound output on death for a Stormcast. Oh, no. I was talking about for the oh, okay. um, the battle line unit that the, the shield and spear guys, they just do mortal wounds on sixes to hit. Oh, yeah. So I forgot about that. And they have Rend. And they're and a three-up save. And they're not that many more points than than the cruel boys like i'd say they're we're worth their points most certainly yeah it'll be interesting to see we definitely need to get some some uh, play tests in with this new battle tome just to see how much difference there might be definitely okay so let's get back on to these this path to glory thing now i noticed that people didn't seem to mind the casualties that much but what they didn't like was that they could get unlucky and i saw a poor poor Seraphon player get very unlucky with a lot of his rolls. And then all of a sudden two or three of his units were just not viable anymore because why are you going to bring five skinks to a battle, you know, out of 10? Oh, I, I had that happen to me actually with one unit of wardens. I lost, I rolled five ones and the, and I even re-rolled and there was a one again. So my t- unit of 10 wardens was down to five and I had to either think, do I want to retire this unit or, and then have to spend my glory points to bring back a new unit or do I want to let it sit out and try and recuperate it? Like, especially if you don't, if it's a low rank unit that doesn't have any special abilities, sometimes the better option is to retire. But I, I would say that maybe having a max cap on your casualties or... Well, I'll tell you, it reminds me of ladder games where once you lost, you kept losing and all of a sudden you're pushed on the back foot and pushed on the back foot. So the players that were just losing and losing and losing were losing by a lot and then they would lose some of their units or their units would not recuperate. They weren't able to add things to their order of battle as much as they would want to. And so they were constantly on a back foot. Now I agree with this, that I think that it should just be limited to say one. If you had, you rolled any ones, then one of your models had to sit out for one sort of turn. And then you could say, okay, well, I'll play with that unit of skinks if it only has 9 out of 10. Uh, the, the wardens with 9 out of 10 wouldn't be too terrible to you, No, right? no, they wouldn't be. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting issue to balance. I think what they should have done, in all honesty, is reduce the cost to recuperate units so that it wasn't so dramatic for some of these larger units. Like for my unit of 20 wardens, the, the, the price to recuperate is five glory points. So if I've lost three or four, that can make a fairly big difference point-wise for that army. But do I really want to spend five glory points or for, five that, glory for that unit to get back four models? Five glory points on the chance that you get back four models. Yes. That's even worse because it's on a four up or a two up if they don't i'd say if they weren't in battle they should just recoup up to their normal size so i think it should be half the glory point cost to recuperate a unit and then regardless. it automatically happens no yeah, dice if, roll. if they sat out so the, the you know like um if they didn't sit out in the previous battle it's a four up to recuperate if they did sit out the previous battle it's right now a two up or if you have a wellspring you can make it a two up regardless 
if they if you if they sat out, they should just automatically recuperate back to max. I really think that's what we would change. We would just say, okay, well, if it sits out, it automatically gets back up to full strength. Or we could just say, don't worry about that. And then if you roll any casualties, you're one model down in the next battle, and then it automatically goes back up to full the next battle after that. And if they die and they have to take more casualty tests, well, I guess you're just going to have to be one model down in the one after that, which isn't so bad. Yeah, it definitely needs to be a little bit of a revamp in some way, because, I mean, you still have instances of, of players getting tabled. Oh, definitely. And when you get tabled, especially if you're a horde unit, you could have your whole army be just, you know, screwed over, especially if you're early on in your path to glory, you wouldn't have enough units to really be viable in your next battle. You'd have to take some of those understrength ones, hope that they last and that, you, that that's where you end in the circle of losing over and over again. Yep. And you can't get the glory points you need to keep going. Another thing that I really didn't like is players that really dislike taking these casualty roles. And so they wouldn't play the game to five rounds, even if they had a path to victory. They would say, well, I've already lost half my army and this is going to be a really bloody match because I I was playing Korn and Korn's actually really good for making your opponent take a lot of casualties. Whenever I won, we both only had like very few units left on the battlefield. And a lot of times my opponents would just say, this is not worth it. I'm not going to stay here even if I could win. And I didn't, I don't like that because if, if it's a close game, and so and one person quits because of that type of thing then i'm gonna be upset like it's an unfinished game i don't feel like it's a real win in my book when you played your corn versus my lumineth recently i i had to withdraw because you had wiped you had nearly tabled most of my army and one of the reasons withdrawing is i didn't want my heroes to go down and suffer injuries if possible and i didn't want my archers to already sustain casualties compared to the all the other units that i was going to have to roll for granted in that battle i really don't think i had a chance of winning at that point i like that that they that they let you withdraw to save from that but it does kind of depending on the situation it can really hamper the mood for your opponent i agree in that army i'm sorry in that battle there was no hope for you (laughs) and withdrawal was absolutely the correct option there but i did have a couple of battles where people were just like "Mm, i'm not going to take this risk even though it could have brought them victory and i love to see a good close game come down to the wire with everybody yelling and well not screaming but like yelling and shouting encouragement or or oh no when the one last roll off takes you to victory or leads you to defeat that that is a good game in my book yeah and you really the main problem is you shouldn't feel like you're being punished for wanting to play a battle because you want to play that battle to get your glory points but you don't want to risk more casualties and injuries so you're like yeah i'll play the battle but i won't play the whole battle so that way i still get the glory points for playing but i don't have to roll worry about all of my casualties and all that i definitely agree Well, I think we've beat this to death at this point. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this topic? I know we've we've kind of like torn uh, torn into the path to glory a lot. I I would like to like go over some of the things I definitely do like because I I just realized we probably talked a lot of negative stuff. Because, but again, that's what most players are going to be like criticizing it. Right? We do generally love the path to glory system. Like, I, I I have a lot of fun with it. I love this system conceptually. There are some things that they definitely need to hash out. Definitely, and I will say that. I would not say that these are even negatives. These are actually just challenges that we need to narratively overcome. Hey, I can't build my army the way I want to, and I can't roll this up on the chart, so what am I going to do? And we say, 
We don't say suffer. We, we say, here, hold on, let us go and make this narrative change so that way you can build your army the way you want. Or we don't look at people who've taken a bunch of casualties and are not having fun and say, suffer some more. We say, okay, well, if you'd rather not use Path to Glory casualties, then don't do it. It's not a big deal. And I'm not going to penalize a player in the league for not wanting to take casualties and just wanting to play a good game every week because a lot of times these people only get one game per week and it's at the store. We try to make the battle plans so that both players have a path to victory, no matter what their army is specifically with the battle tactics, because I, a lot of the path to glory, uh, battle plans in the book don't really bring battle tactics in as much, but having an, a, the ability to get some more victory points on your turn just strategically feels more more like you have a hold on the game. Even if the battle plan isn't well suited for your army, you have a path to victory. Definitely. And when I looked at the battle tactics that they had, I looked at them and I said, well, this is these are good. Some of these are great. And some of these are kind of difficult. And I kind of made my own battle tactics for a thousand points and made another one for 1500 points. And some of the battle tactics that I made were strategically designed to help new players in the game. And I'll give you an example right here. We had one that says it's battle tactic where you get two victory points. If you use all of your command points. Yeah. If you, you get two victory points, if you use all of your command points at the end of your turn. So what it said to new players who normally they might get to the end of the turn and have like two or three left and say, Oh, well I should have probably done that. And I completely forgot about that. Instead, what they're doing is they're saying, Oh wow, each phase of the game, let's see where I can use my command points because I don't want to have any at the end of the turn. And that's what you want as a veteran player is your new players learning how to use their command points and using them. You want them to use them. I agree. And I think it's also important to, to note that when it comes to Path to Glory, this is narrative play. It's not necessarily going to be tournament. I do like that they give you the ability to use like official match play battles or tournament battles to count for your Path to Glory. They do give you the rules on how to still do that. But again, if you're a narrative event coordinator and you're trying to run something for a group of friends or a local store, there's no harm in homebrewing a couple rules to try and make it fit better for your group, I think, as long as you know everyone's on the same page and everyone's clear with what you're doing. Like like what we've had to do for our 12-week store league, we didn't put a cost on your stronghold upgrades for imposing our mighty. We just said, all right, at a certain time point, everyone's going to get that, and we're also going to give everyone the max number of barracks because economically speaking, there's no way to earn enough glory points within, say, a 12-week league and still be able to afford those upgrades. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that that was, what did you call it? Fast to glory? Yeah, I was like, I like that. fast to glory mod. The other option definitely. we were talking about is potentially increasing the number of points players get for just playing the battle. So that way they're not as off put by the casualties and injuries they're receiving because they will have the glory points to recuperate from them, but also not increasing the points for winning or for your warlord not getting slain. Keep those in the same bracket so that way they just give the winner a little bit of a buff, but not so much that it's like this massive advantage for winning. Yeah, you don't want anybody just striding forward while everybody else is kind of like hanging back. Like, oh no, I don't have any of the units that I want. Can't get enough glory to do this. Can't get enough glory to do that. And there have been times when I've won a game and taken more casualties than my opponent. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. I just just spent when you roll them five here. ones, it's depressing. <laughs> it is definitely. So, any other path to glory specific things that you want to talk about? The one thing we didn't go over is the the path is end game. 
Oh yeah. End game. Like where do you, where does your path to glory end? Does it end when you have 2000 or more points and you have the imposing and the mighty stronghold and as many barracks as you can have and as many, you've filled up your vault and do you end there or do you typically end, you know, at the end of eight or 12 or 15 battles? Yeah. And I really think that for people who like to write their own narratives, because I, I know there's plenty of people out there who, who like to write their own little campaigns and whatnot. It's a great opportunity to create, like say a custom quest pack along with battle plans, take what they kind of already have in here and just build it into a story based campaign. Like you can create a series of quests that aren't just the generic ones that when you complete them, you then play say a, a homebrew battle plan and have like this ultimate goal of, Oh, okay, my army is starting from rags and our goal is to say it's an orc army. We're, we're trying to build the big wog to go take out this huge stormcast city. And that's your end goal. That's how you know you've won the path to glory when that city is sacked. So when you build to a certain point in your narrative, you can start bringing in and, oh, well, yeah, we have a bunch of, we got a couple gargants in here now. And, oh, we hired some ogre mercenaries. Kind of like what happens in the Kragnos book. You know, what they tried to do to Excelsis, the, uh, what they tried to do to Excelsis. You could create your own little pack based on that being your, obje- your path to glory objective. And then at the very end, you find an opponent who has a bunch of cities of Sigmar or Stormcast and have a nice little narrative battle to determine if you've made your path to glory. If not, then you might have to recoup and figure out how you're going to retake the city again. And w- but once you've destroyed that city, you know you've reached glory. Yeah, and I think that... What you said with the allies is a little more cogent. Like you, we really should visit that. And don't be afraid to take allies, especially in a path to glory. When Renee said, oh, I think I'm going to take an allied unit, I was very negative about it, just unintentionally even. I was like, eh, I don't know if you should do that. It might not work well for you. And she was like, well, who cares? It's a narrative. I, I want a chariot and Corn doesn't have chariots really. And you don't have the chariot that Corn does have. And I said, Okay, well, you know what? You've got a good point. You want to you want a chariot, and I have a slaves to darkness chariot. So go ahead and add it in, and it ended up being pretty darn awesome. So yeah, add those mega gargants in. Add in a unit or two, unless you're Ossiarch Bone Reapers, and then you just are stuck. Fortunately, there are a few factions who do. I do like the more specified coalition units in this edition, and how they aren't really the same as allies because there's it's not points based like it used to be it's a one in four units kind of a thing which feels a lot better than saying oh um 200 out of your thousand points can be from from an ally but saying one out of four units can be coalition you're not trying to like finagle to get the the unit you really want to take in with you but you it feels much more fluid to bring a coalition unit and just say okay one out of four is good i agree because when i did my cities of sigmar army and i wanted to do all dwarfs i looked and i said okay well there's really only i don't know like six or seven dwarf units but then i thought oh well one out of four can be from character and overlords and i really liked certain units in character and overlords there's what are they called end riggers or endrin riggers endrin riggers endrin riggers have freaking nail guns okay they shoot you with nail guns, and in my book, that is awesome. So I was like, I wanted three of those, and then I like their normal the unit. Arcanauts. Yeah, I love Arcanaut that Arcanaut company. unit because that's the unit that I thought would always go up and take objectives, and they did every game. They, every game I played with them, they ran up and took an objective and was like, ha ha! They were like the the go getters in the dwarven army, and I, I painted them with golden beards because that sort of signifies that they're younger dwarves and they're they're out to get glory. 
So that's what I really liked about them. And, and they did a good job of adding coalition units to being able to use them for a lot of keywords and a lot of your army's stuff. So they were dwarfs. Well, in this case, they were Duarden, but whatever. They were able, they gained my city's keyword, and therefore I was able to use certain abilities on them. So that's something I definitely like, especially since um, I have quite a few characters myself, but I know that in the meta, there a lot of people will play the tactic of, you know, just run run around the board and shoot at you without ever giving you the chance to get into combat. Me personally, I like playing Beric Thring, if I'm saying that right. I don't know if I am, but... Uh, it's your army, man. You say it however you like. <laughs> Mainly because I can bring in a bunch of melee dwarf units to actually, you know, get into combat. And just, I, I really like the story of how they're more traditional dwarves for, at least for Caradron. You know, they're not the piratey businessmen. As Well, they're still pirate businessmen, but they're, they got a bit more honor than some of the other cities. But yeah, being able to bring like fire slayers and dwarves into that army feels much more natural. And them getting the same buffs as the rest of the army specifically for the skyport keyword versus the entire faction abilities. That does feel good because you want them to be good, but you also want them to be flavorful, right? I mean, you, you don't want to be like, okay, well I like fire slayers and I want to make sure that I add a unit of fire slayers in because I like them. But then if they don't get any of your buffs and they don't work well with your army and they don't get any, this or that or the other thing, then your opponent looks at you and says, well, why didn't you just bring your normal units? And you're like, well, I didn't want to just skyship around and blow you off the table. I wanted to have a game. Yeah, you you want your opponent. You don't want your opponent not enjoy a battle against you. You want them to have as much fun as you. Or at least, typically in a narrative environment, there are there are some people who just like completely dominating across the battlefield every single game. What? Why are you looking at me? Stop it! No, that's not. I. You have a path to victory in every one of our games. I wasn't implying you. I no, was you just, looked at me awful suspiciously. I was I, like, I was trying uh, to say, it. Matt. Matt is a very talented player, but he doesn't. Not talented. I would say you're talented. I just know every army. If you know every army and uh-huh. you know exactly what to, if you want, if you know what to put across the table from your opponent, you'll win every time. Unless you start having miraculous miraculous rolls like I did, where I think an entire. I somehow got a crap ton of attacks against my Lumineth, and because I had got the spell off that gave them a four five up ward, and somehow I rolled like sixteen fives and sixes out of twenty or something. It was with his cheaty dice. I I had I even switched out the dice the next game, and it still happened. Like it was really funny because all of my attacks were just terrible on the rolls, but then the saves were on point. Yeah, luck is a horse That's to ride just, like any other. So yeah. you know, I, I didn't mind that much. I was just teasing you. I got you. I, I don't get. I don't get upset when my opponent has good rolls or anything. For Justin, normally I would just say, "Oh wow, that's really good, good job," you know. But for Justin, since he's my like really good friend, I can kind of tease him a little and be like, "Yeah, wow, man, grabbing those cheaty dice, sorry." <laughs> but then he would roll for his attacks and he'd be totally pillow fisted with the exact same dice. He'd be like, "Well, there's four ones and a two. I guess I'm yeah. not." hitting you this combat round but i also like to give you a challenge during your, your game sometimes just to, oh you give me a challenge every game it's funny because i'll see it i'll be he, he suddenly gets like really just like oh this isn't this isn't an easy one i gotta think this one through and you can see like there's a little bit of excitement there of oh i i, I got a challenge i gotta i gotta really think about this and every game so far against justin has been like that in the in the league since we've been playing every game i'm like uh, i can't 
I can't drink while we're having this except, battle. Except for this last one. You kind of steamrolled me with the corn, which was surprising. I, I completely underestimated that bloodthirster. Oh, yeah. The father, the bloodthirster is so awesome. And, you know, I, I really thought that you would take him down that next turn. I was completely expecting you to take him down. That five-up ward is what kept him in that game for you. But Oh, definitely. I had to choose in the very last battle round. Like, I can either withdraw and keep my heroes alive, you know, for path to glory, because there's one I've spent so much work painting, um, my warlord. Who's the, um, the Cathaler. Yeah. The, the scenario Cathaler. I'm like, I really don't want her to die. So I, I'm just gonna, every game, little, you've my done own little such personal a good... attachment to the model is why I've, I withdrew to keep her alive. Cause I'm like, I know if I play one more round, I'm going to kill the bloodthirster, but then everything else is getting wiped. Oh yeah. And I was gunning for that Cathaler. That's my only thing that I wanted to do that whole battle was kill her. And you know who was coming for her? Mother. Mama. Yeah. Yes, mother. Maja was coming for you. But I didn't want it to be one of those things where mother came and like flew over the rest of his troops and got the Cathaler and that was it. I wanted it to be a true, like I, I, I put her directly in the path of all the spearmen because I wanted her to knock those spearmen aside as though they were nothing. And I did with that whip. Those three spearmen left, though, that they actually did some pretty decent damage to her. I think they they did did like five or six wounds. That was it was like I was surprised. It was like um, for the for the Venari Wardens, it was the uh, the leader of the the champion of the unit. And then like three spears somehow did like six wounds on her. It was it It was was great. It was very surprising. But before that, he was like, yeah, so I've got like nine or ten here. And I was like, "Okay, whip, 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 whip. And the whip took out like five or six of them. Oh yeah. So a lot of people say the Lumineth are overpowered. They are very strong, but once the models start dying the and they don't get their um, buff spells off, the army gets vulnerable. That, mm-hmm. that Their main vulnerability is their low count, their low wound for most of their units. I agree. If you can take a great strength, like for instance, he's got a unit of 20 wardens, right? Great models. They attack in a bunch of inches. They get a bunch of buffs. And if you charge them, you are going to die. However, if you throw models on an objective three inches away from them and then look at them and say, your turn, you can either charge me and lose all of your good bonuses with your wardens, or you can sit there and that what two or 300 point unit just does nothing. Exactly. Cause they lose their buff as soon as they, they're minus one to hit when they charge. But I, I've sometimes like, if I'm playing a strategic battle, we'll use that to throw off. Cause like I'll, I let everyone know, you know what they can and can't do. If you get up the offensive buffs of them having that five mortal wounds, you're getting around 40 attacks that five with a three inch range. So they're almost all of those are going to get in. That's how I took out my brothers. When I played against my brother, he plays Ozzy Ark bone reapers and getting them down is very difficult. But as soon as those 40 attacks went through on the harvester gone. Yeah, definitely. And I specifically knew that he had those 20 there. So I was like, okay, well here you can have some blood warriors there. They'll just stand up here. And if you charge them, you lose your buffs. And if you kill them, then they will attack you and kill some of you back. It was like a lose-lose situation for him. There's There was nothing he could do yeah. but charge. But, I mean, that's, again, um, that goes back to what you were saying a little while ago about knowing your opponent's army as well as your own is, is the real key if you're trying to be strategic. But it's also, it shows there are definitely armies that are going to be way more powerful than others. And one of the challenges if you're going for the narrative approach is to kind of keep that in mind if you're making your army. If you're, go, if you're really trying to be thematic, be thematic, but try and leave probably some of the, you know, tournament mindset aside. Go for the flavor versus straight strategy all the time. 
Well, I will say that I have a hard time doing that. Number one, it just isn't in my nature to not go for strategy. I have an easy time not making tournament lists because it's easy. All I have to say is, okay, I'm limiting myself to one of each unit, no matter how good it is. And then I'll say, how, how can I use these slightly subpar units, which still have tricks and stuff? So I'll just say, okay, well, how can I use this, these units? I, I would say there are two ways to do this. The first way is to play like, like you said, don't make the most strategic decisions in every single game. Maybe don't charge everything turn one, even though you could wipe out your opponent. But another way of doing it, this is the way that I love to do it, is I like to play two on one or I'll say, just make this a lopsided battle. Add at an extra six or 800 points. And a lot of times, even if you're on the receiving end of being at the detriment where you know that you can't survive this battle, if you're if you're down like 500, 600, 800 points, it can still be a really fun game being at the disadvantage. Yeah, I had the one of the most fun games that I've had this league was a league where I went two on one with Justin's mom, Lori, and... Yeah, my mom plays too. <laughs> yeah, she's really awesome. And a guy named Connor, and they played me two-on-one, and I was on the back foot the entire mission. I The whole time, I was thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I was so scared, but it was such a tense game, and it came down to a, like came down to the wire, pretty much. And I, st- I feel like I played the hell out of that game, and I lost with... I, I lost it well. <laughs> yeah. It was bloody too. They had, they had almost nothing left and I had almost nothing left at the end. I think there's something that can be learned from tabletop RPGs when applying to this mindset though, because if you think about it, there are two armies that are definitely easy to keep thematic and abandon strat necessarily not meta too hard and go for theme versus strategy. And those two are definitely orcs and corn because their strategy, they're not necessarily going to be always the best thinkers. They're going to play they're kind of like an Aries kind of mindset. They're they're they are there for the war. They're ABC. there to kill. So yeah, you, it might be smart for this unit of blood warriors t- to sit on this objective and not get into combat. But everyone knows there's no way a corn blood warrior would 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 want to do that. They're going to no, charge definitely. at the nearest thing and start killing. Always be charging, right? ABC. So maybe a good mindset that you can learn from like D and D or something is that usually when you make a character, you have flaws, I- ideologies like things that are motivation so like even if you're playing something's more complex what is my lumineth for example elves one of their fatal flaws is their arrogance yeah so think of that in mind when you're playing your game of yeah you can still be strategic but arrogantly this these elves can take that bloodthirster 10 wardens can take a 120 points worth of wardens can take a uh 300 point bloodthirster no problem they are <laughs> confident in their abilities so oh they almost did actually <laughs> they did they, they well they they kind of had my my lord regent and the uh the lore seeker there but i mean you wiped out the lore seeker before it even had time to piss <laughs> well you know what you're you put that lore seeker on the middle of that middle objective and you said you can't take that lore seeker i mean the objective until the lore seeker is dead and i said challenge accepted yeah, and I tried to give him as much support, but um, I was hoping he'd last a little longer, but nope, nope. No, that two-handed, you know, some people split their attacks, but I did not split my attack. I was like, Father's going seven attacks into you. Take <laughs> oh, this. Yeah. yeah, that was bad. But I mean, that was what, so I play Iliatha, the, that's why my general is the Cath Hauler versus the um, Lord Regent, just because I really like the, the matriarchal society and their lore and the whole twins thing. So she and the Lord Regent are kind of, 
They're themed after like Greek mythology with Persephone and Hades. So he's kind of the Hades vibe. She's the Persephone vibe, mainly because he has that factions artifact, which when he goes down the first time on a four up, he comes back with full health. And you experience that with the bloodthirster. You work so hard to get him down to that to, to death and then bam comes right back. Cheaty elf. <laughs> He's a, a cheaty knife here. But I usually I charge into combat with him and keep and keep him offensive because he has that arrogance of I have something mm-hmm. that can keep me going. But there was one battle where I fought and that happened and it didn't work. <laughs> and he oh, went no. down. I was like, oh, well, let's luckily he only rolled um, a one on the injury or he only had one wound from the injury roll. But you never know. Um, our friend Alan with his uh, original Lord for his slaves to darkness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> Lord Thrasher. Yeah, he failed to do things. The problem was he was playing against my Blades of corn, and he charged into uh, a hero, which was my Blood Secretor. No, no. first he charged my priest and failed to kill him over two, two turns of combat. That was the first failure. The second failure was that he charged my blood secretor and failed to kill him and since he failed to kill the blood secretor i summoned 20 demons of corn like 20 blood letters and then just charged him and sacrificed him to my skull altar and then he rolled he rolled on the chart and he rolled like a like a major injury and he's like i'm gonna re-roll that i don't want that and rolled like a two and then he looked at me and he was like lord thrasher is dead and i was like yep he failed one time too many but he has an interesting little, um, at one of the last battles we played, he said, you know what? Lord Thrasher might come back, but he yes. might have a couple more arms, um, you know, since he since he displeased uh, the Dark Gods. So he's getting a Chaos Spawn model, I want to say, and is going to have him be Lord, Lord Thrasher. But I thought that was very appropriate. Instead of just, instead of just sacrificing them, uh, he, they would definitely add a couple extra arms, a couple extra legs, maybe some skulls. And I love Alan's his story that he made up for Slaves to Darkness. We'll have I'll have to talk to him about that because it is really good. And that's what this is all about: being seriously narrative. I love that whole Persephone Hades thing that you have going on. That's a great narrative, and it really speaks to it because those gods are so arrogant and they just don't learn. So just the thought that you've got the best of, uh, I feel like Iliatha is definitely the best of the new elves as far as trying to keep themselves in check. And it's still just not going so well for oh, him. Yeah. Well, specifically because these, I wanted to tie to the Greek roots because there's a, a lot of the aesthetic of these, of the Lumineth is kind of Greek origin, the whole hopolite formation. A lot of it's, a, it's like mm-hmm. a mix of that elvish of the old world elves, but with some like a classic antiquity Greek influence in it. Yeah, I like that a lot. The only thing I don't like about the army, and I do not, cannot stand, and I won't want to paint, is those back banners. How, oh, all those back banners. I hate back banners. Just the trim in general. No, the trim is fine. I've painted trim. I paint trim. You paint trim. Everybody paints trim. But back banners, ugh. Mm. So I always feel like I need to do freehand on them. And then after I do one, I'm like, well, those stupid two-handed sword guys which looks so awesome there's like four more than you have to do and you're like oh no yeah i will say that back to the alan slaves thing real quick he is really talented at coming up with interesting narrative if you've ever noticed yes my favorite homebrewed narrative story that i've or not even story but just idea and path that he has followed with his flesh eater courts with king vargo is just so mm. 
I love it too. I love it a lot. It started with the Nova narrative and it just went on from there. I swear I'm going to have him on and I'll have him talk about that because his narrative is his narratives are very good. Yeah, I, I won't do him a dis, uh, disservice by trying to explain his Vargo story. You guys will just have to listen in another time to get Alan's Vargo story. I'm really happy that I had you on today, and I'm glad that we were able to talk about the narrative of your story because, again, this is what Seriously Narrative is all about. I want to hear the narrative for everybody else's army. So I want to thank you for coming on with me and talking with me about Path to Glory. It's been awesome doing this store league with you again at High Tide Games. They are really fantastic. They've got lots of Warhammer stuff on the shelf as much as GW will let them anyway. All of their staff there are just so nice. Every time you come in the store, they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, they always greet you. And yeah, so if you're in the area in California, Maryland, then come check them out. They've got a Pokemon league and they've got Friday night magic. And sometimes they do Saturday magic. I know they're doing a bunch of Peruli stuff now for the new Innistrad set. I know it's been really hard with all this COVID stuff, but Rebecca has been really, really good about trying to keep everybody safe. I really enjoy that. Again, thanks so much for coming on. I always like to give whomever it is that I am interviewing the last word. So is there anything that you would like to say? Because this is your last word. In the short time the third edition has been out, there's been a, a lot of good that I've seen, a lot of improvements. The one thing I don't like is the, is maybe the new coherency rule. I'm loving Path to Glory. I think it just needs a couple tweaks, but I, I if you haven't tried a Path to Glory campaign, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun and really gets the wheels turning for your narrative. And I will be sharing a link for my automated tracker for people to try and make their own copies of if they want to test it out. Welcome back to the question and answer segment. It's good to be back. All right, so this question that we have today is, what is the best army in Age of Sigmar? And I know that's kind of a loaded question because everybody has their own, you know, sort of unique perspectives, but these are our best armies in Age of Sigmar. And we're going to go through based on the main four types. So we've got our four grand factions, order, destruction, death, and chaos. And we're going to ask ourselves, you know, which one is the best looking in terms of the models? So best looking army. And which one is has the best lore behind the army? And which one is the most fun to play? So why don't we start with you? And we're going to start with order. So of those order armies, and we, we only have like the main order armies. We're not going with like Phoenix Lords or anything like that. No sub factions? No, no, nothing like that. So which of those is the best looking army in your opinion? Wow, that's a hard decision. Probably Ideneth Deepkin. You know, I'd actually say that the Ideneth Deepkin do have the best looking models. I'm going to agree with you on that. We've got we've got an agreement. Why do you think? They're just dynamic. They're just cool looking. Oh, I agree. They definitely are. They're interesting to look at. Although the Daughters of Cain also have very good looking models. I'd say that'd be a close two in my book. Yeah, I'm just not, I just don't feel close to Daughters of Cain. They're not, I don't have any interest in them. So it's probably part of the reason why I don't. Yeah, I understand. Definitely. Well, as far as the best lore behind the armies go, I, you know, I'm going to have to go with Ideneth Deepkin again. I love the lore behind that army. I love how they're just depraved. You know what I mean? They feel like really terrible. Yeah, honestly. they do. You look at them and you're like, oh, those are pretty models. They're cool. They're probably really nice army. 
but they really suck the souls from and mortals. And their order, so they're on the good side, and then you learn more about them. And yeah, they yeah. kind of feel like Dark Eldar from 40K, and I really love Dark Eldar. It was, back, it was my first 40K faction that I collected, so yeah, i definitely say that would be good. Yeah. All right, well, what about Chaos then, of the Chaos listed? Best-looking army? Hey, probably Slanesh. You think Slanesh is the best-looking army? I We've got a Hedonite on our hands, folks. Or a Sneech. <laughs> Not Sneech. I mean, I'm partial to corn, but I think for best looking army, army, it's probably Zinch. I agree. I think that the best looking of it, definitely Zinch. Although he knights a Slanesh, a second, a good second. Like, I almost think they're tied. I also really like the look and the feel of Maggotkin. That's the, I think that has the best lore behind the army. Yeah, Nurgle's cool. I like that GW has added a little more of the mental aspect into Maggotkin as well as the physical. So they're not just overly bloated beings. They're also kind of depressed, you know? They're, there's no hope for them. And Nurgle is just so cheerful. They're like, ha, 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 yes, we're just going to dance around our poxes. And then some people are just like, oh, no, I can't do anything. There's no hope for me. And that's how they kind of fall to Nurgle. Yeah. I like how there's a couple of different ways that these chaos armies can be insidious. Like corn, you might you might fall to corn if you were just a little bit too martial, if you were just a little too bloodthirsty. You didn't have to be necessarily a blood raving maniac all the time. It just kind of grows on you. Or Zinch, you you might not know that you got into a cult or something in a city. You just thought that uh, they were you know a good group of a, fr- a fraternal group of people that like minded people. Who enjoyed sorcery or the arcane or the occult. So, or you could fall to Nurgle because you could go into severe mental despair. And then all of a sudden you're not taking care of yourself properly and your, your mental health and your physical health declines and there Papa Nurgle is. Yep. Skaven are always a good fan favorite. I, I don't like a lot of the Skaven models, but I love the lore behind their army and how they're always there to just mess things up, right? I think GW could do some really cool stuff with Skaven if they put some effort into it. Oh yeah, most certainly. I, I feel like they could really redo some of the models and make them look I don't know. I feel like they need to look fun and insidious at the same time. Yeah. All right. Well, what's the best looking behind death? What do you think is the best looking? Best models? Night Haunt. Yeah, Night Haunt. I, I've looked at the Ossiarch Bone Reapers and they've got some pretty cool models as well. But Night Haunt just, oh, they're so beautiful. I've painted up so many of them. And, you know, I think that my least favorite would definitely have to be Flesh Eater Quartz. For models, I mean. Yeah. But for story, Flesh Eater Quartz is my absolute favorite. I love the thought that they are in a delusion all of their own. But those models are so annoying to paint. They're just so, I don't know, bland. It just feels like everything is, everything's brown. Yeah. Everything's brown and a little bit green or maybe a little bit sickly flesh colored. But it's hard to make those models stand out. You really have to work at it. And the most fun to play as far as death goes, I don't know. I think Soulblight Gravelords are good. And Ossiarch Bone Reapers are not fun. And my daughter's having fun with them in third edition, but I don't think I would have very much fun in third edition with them because they don't play with what third edition does. They they say, oh, well, you've got new command abilities. We don't get those. Oh, you affect this or that. We're not affected by this or that. So kind of, I don't know, that that puts them a little bit on the back burner to me. I wish Nighthaunt were a little bit better because I did enjoy playing with them. I did too. I like them a lot. I hope that they get some really good love in their new battle tome when they get it. That would be nice. And Flesh Eater Quartz, 
Well, uh, hmm, flesh eater quartz. It's the most fun faction as far as the lore behind the army, but it's not fun to play. Everything is overcosted. It doesn't have Ren. You, it doesn't really have an armor save. So you're kind of just stuck with a bunch of pillow fisted big things that just kind of, I mean, if you can go monster mash and do well, but other than that, the ways behind the army to play are very few and far between. Soulblight Gravelords, I would say is one of the most diverse way to play ways to play. They can play with almost every one of their toys. The only thing that's bad in the Soulblight Gravelords battle tome is probably the Black Knights. Yeah. Yeah. What about destruction? What's your favorite model, uh, favorite looking army in destruction? Okay, so this one's going to be really, really hard. <laughs> the fan favorite's probably going to be War Clans just because they're the newest models. So they're... Oh, yeah, the Stink Boys? The newest looking models. So they look very crisp and stuff but i don't know i mean goblins and trolls she likes goblins and she likes trolls i will say when they did gloom spike gets it's a terrible battle tome but they came out with some really great models and then all the new goblins look fantastic the boingrat balanders and squig hoppers you like the look of the new boss on trogoth yeah it's pretty cool i wish the orcs had squigs too yeah i wish the orcs had squigs i like that the 40k orcs have squigs what about Sons of Behemoth? Giants? Um, yeah. Well, you don't like the look of the Giants? Not really. I think it would be really cool to paint one up. What I like about the Sons, and they're, I think, my favorite faction as far as like the best lore behind the army. Even though Gloomspite Gits has good lore. I think the best lore is Gloom, Gloomspite Gits, especially my lore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I took Gloomspite Gits to Nova Open. I don't know how many years ago 2018. it was. 2018. So I brought a fungoid cave shaman and he was my general to Nova. And I he had lore about spores and mushrooms and spreading his love. Yeah, so she just infested everybody with mushrooms. And I think she jumped inside of the god beast and eventually sacrificed him. Because we were actually on top of and inside a god beast. So she was like, oh, great. Just jumped right in and sacrificed her her boss to the god beast and infested it with spores and mushrooms. Yeah, so for lore, I'm definitely going to have to go with Gloom Spike Kits. I love how there's this organization overlooked by Scragglot, Scragrot, the Loon King, and he's got this mental asylum with a bunch of really crazy goblins or grots just like locked up in there because you know their brains are like half mushroom and they see visions and they do all the weird brew all these weird potions and they just can't be like reasoned with really. And he uses them to find out where the bad moon is gonna be next. And it's guarded by a bunch of Trogos that are like too stupid to be lured away from their posts or something. Yeah. That's pretty funny. That is funny. Although I really like how the Sons of Behemoth have, they've got this thing where you can have one in any army. So you can put a giant in like a death army and you just have to buy a giant and then convert it to be a dead giant or a death giant or like a ghost giant. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be cool to have a ghost giant. And then there's like, um, there's people that have converted giants to be like orky giants. I mean, you know, like orc influenced giants. They put like bone split of stuff all over it oh you could i could get a giant and put mushrooms on him and have him infected with the spores oh yeah he could have it like coming out of his head and out of his out oh, of ear cool. out of his nose oh that'd be so great and there are people who have giants that have fallen to chaos they have like corn giants and nurgle giants are all fat and their insides are splitting out and ew it's nasty 
And then there's like uh, Sigmar giants that are cast in a bunch of armor and they look all regal and everything. Although those ones, I don't, I don't think they, I don't know. Pushing it, it a little much. Yeah. The best one that I saw was there was a conversion that somebody did with, with the uh, daughters of Cain and they had a giant and they had sculpted hair on that giant to look just like a daughters of Cain model. And then they had made it into like a, a giant woman and put like daughters of Cain daggers in his, in its hand. And it was very good. I think it would, I don't know. I think if I was to do a daughters of Cain giant, I would still make it a man, but make it kind of like slave. Yeah. Like have a, have a bunch of chains all over it and have it like a bunch of Canic runes all over it. Yeah. Cause I mean the only, I know why they did is because they're supposed to be females. The only males in the entire army, right. Are the, are the warlocks, I believe, but everything else is a woman. So, you know, it's very matriarchal society. That would be really cool if you had like a, an enslaved giant. Yeah. That's our question and answer for today. Hope you guys enjoyed. I know it was a little bit like opinion based, but you know, that's our opinion. We just like to tell you guys what we like, right? And if you'd like to share with us your favorite armies, your best looking army that you like, the best lore behind the army, the army you find the most fun to play, go ahead and leave us a comment. And we'd love to hear it. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us for questions, please email us at seriouslynarrativepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page at facebook.com backslash seriouslynarrativepodcast. This episode of Seriously Narrative, a Warhammer podcast, is protected by the Creative Commons license. If you have any questions about the Creative Commons license, please visit their website at creativecommons.org. Music is provided by Incompetech created by Kevin McLeod and used under the Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.